Ladies and gentlemen, our next event of the evening is a one-fall match with a 60-minute time limit. This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Oh, yeah, it is. <laughs> How are you doing, Chad? It's Where the Big Boys Play, back again. <laughs> We're back uh, with the vengeance, hopefully. Uh, <laughs> well, pretty uh, adventurous uh, time off, I would say. Well, I mean, since uh, since we last did a show, Chad, uh, a few things have happened. Do you want to fill us in? <laughs> also, I've uh, I've had a baby. Our first uh, son was born. He was actually born, I think, like a couple of days after the last show was posted. It was pretty quick. Um, so that's that's of course been a big adjustment, and then uh, started the new shoot job. So that's been a lot of fun. Uh, already working pretty long hours there so kind of been all over the board uh hope hopefully though i think we are going to try and the keywords try but have a more regular schedule going forward yes uh, where uh i mean i guess i guess we can say this show is going to drop on a halloween since it's halloween havoc so a sort of special show but uh, that sunday would be the first sunday of november yeah. Be November second, so uh, going forward, we're going to try to have a show drop on every first and third Sunday of the month uh, to get a little more regular. That that is the plan uh, going that forward. But well, anyway, con- congratulations once again, Chad. Uh, it's been. Uh, it, it, how has it affected things in a nutshell? Would you say? Are you um, massively tired. Is that? <laughs> well, I mean, I think you. You, you get a you get sleep but it's just it's different sleep like it's not uncommon like last night uh was a saturday night when we we're recording this so last night i uh went to uh, we uh, had a picnic and a barbecue during the afternoon and we took uh, caden and it was very hectic so i went to bed about six o'clock for a nap when he went down and woke up at nine o'clock so that's on a saturday night and then stayed up Uh, so it's it's a very weird i guess irregular schedule because he's still being fed every three hours right now but of course the key thing the listeners want to know chad are you going to be pulling a will or a charles and have a (laughs) have the baby with you podcasting yeah it's uh it's possible that he will be making some run-ins uh right now i just have my dog but uh yeah definitely possibility going forward that he will be uh making some cameos oh well um yeah on my front uh we've started the new academic year and i've been completely rushed off my feet uh working open day i worked an open day yesterday chad um, and since the term has started, I have uh, I have had uh, what is known as fresher's flu. Uh, you know, a, a terrible cold. Uh, 
and uh, it's taken me at least 10 days. In fact, uh, when we recorded the last Titan show, um, right in the middle of that show, probably when I was doing that rant on Bob Backlund, <laughs> I, I got this cold. Maybe like as a punishment from God or something, but uh, <laughs> this hasn't gone away. That was like 10 days ago now. So. Yeah, you don't criticize Howdy Doody. So, uh, yeah, if I sound a little bit weird or muffled on the show, that is the reason why. Um, the one other thing I wanted to mention just before we get into uh, um, the, the Meltzers this week um, is, uh, of course, the other big thing that's happened on the wrestling front uh, since we did our last show um, is the Greatest Wrestler Ever project. Um, yeah. And, uh, we, I mean, we actually did a show, Chad, <laughs> with uh, Charles and uh, Steve Gray of... Uh, I felt like me and you didn't really get a chance to talk between ourselves on that show. So, um, any uh, particular priorities for you uh, vis-a-vis that project? Anything you're looking forward to watching more than anything else? Or I would say probably. I mean, to me, the two biggest blind spots that I have, I think, in overall in wrestling are World of Sport and Eighties Joshi. Right. So, so I'd say those are the two kind of things I'm looking most forward to uh, watching um, but I've kind of I've, I've kind of made an action plan for myself so I, I'm not diving in um, Here, here's a big Chad tentative action plan so I'm not diving in to any footage for that until 2015 okay. I've sort of decided and uh, so 2015 I'm going to try to commit myself to watch a lot of stuff for that and a couple of the 1990 years that I haven't watched yet and then uh, and then my tentative plan right now part of it is 2016 I'm only watching current stuff itself for stuff I do for this show wow okay. so I, I, I'm, right now my tentative plan is in 2016 I will try to consume as much 2016 wrestling as I can. I know that's a long term, but uh, just just because there's a lot out there, and I, I, do, I do think this is a cool kind of worthy project, and it's sort of like a reset spot for me. Yeah. And and hopefully there's uh, enough stuff still coming in from Japan because that's one thing now. Like every every day almost on Daily Motion. You see some Japanese cards and uh, stuff get posted that look pretty intriguing, and I just I don't have the time or uh, I guess effort to watch it all that and the stuff I'm watching. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of my tentative plan right now. We'll see if that comes to fruition or not. Okay, great. Uh, okay, anything else you want to mention before we get into the melters here? Um, okay, I guess we can quickly mention that our feed was updated. I know that's kind of old news now, but we haven't done a show. So the uh, Pro Wrestling Super Show is now on our feed. It's the uh, PWO PTBN feed. You can search on iTunes. And then uh, I, I guess the, the Twitter kind of rebranding is still relatively new too. We're at Big Boys Play WCW on Twitter. Uh, so that's the where the big boys play Twitter handle. So check us out there. Yeah, great. And uh, I, one other thing I'll say is that if you're a long time listener to this show who's never joined pro wrestling only, the uh, the greatest wrestler ever project is a very good reason to do so. Uh, would you agree with that, Chad? Yeah, yeah. You can jump uh, right in and uh, yeah. 
join up. It's it's a lot going on. It's time for the Wrestling Observer Extra. Wrestling Observer Extra. With Dave Meltzer. Okay, well let's, um, uh, the reason we're here, of course, Halloween Havoc 1991. Um, picking up where we left off last time. And um, my first Meltzer is uh, September the 23rd. Uh, my birthday. Ah. Yeah, I have a torch dated September 19th. Well, why why don't you go ahead, Jim? So this is a Torch 139. Probably going to be some of the same stuff, I would guess. Uh, Chris Von Eric committed suicide. Yeah. That's that's kind of the cover story, which is uh, him committing suicide here, and then Carrie, and I think it was either January, late January, early February 1993 when Carrie passed away. But uh, that that was sort of the the end of the road for the Von Erichs. It's getting really sad. I mean, Chris Von Erich, have you ever seen him, Parv? No, no, I've only ever read about him. Just an incredibly kind of undersized guy. Really had no business probably being a wrestler. Uh, It just seemed like it was his destiny in life was to be a wrestler. Uh, So kind of like a tragic, I would say a tragic figure in the uh, Von Erich family clan. Very undersized, very small arms. Um, mm. uh, just just a sad situation overall. On, a, a, I guess, a more positive front, Flair debuted on uh, WWF TV on the prime time, which is probably one of the more iconic moments, I would say, of 1991 overall. I'm, I'm sure probably most of our listeners have seen that, but if you haven't, I'd recommend watching that. Because throughout 91, just watching the promos and stuff in WCW, I think you see Flair look pretty ragged and weary. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of instances where he doesn't seem himself. And I think immediately for the first bit in WWF, he does feel rejuvenated. Absolutely. Uh, and so it's, it's fairly... Uh, Wonderful to see. I know, I know it's very early in his run where we get the uh, iconic Thunder Lips line that he says on the promo, mm-hmm. uh, talking about Hogan making movies. So, so there's a lot going on, and I'm, I mean, I do think that WWF did hinder Flair in some uh, some cases with the way they presented him. Yeah. I know a talking point with Charles is that Flair always wears his robe. Even even when he debuts, he debuts in his like wrestling robe, which yeah, I, I agree you, with. You never see him in the suit ever. Right, in right. Yep. There's there's sort of I guess a lack of professionalism that's kind of or more cartoonish yeah. uh, nature. But but yeah, so he does feel though at least more motivated, which is welcome to see. I th- I think one of the problems with uh, Flair in the ring in WF is that he was basically booked like honky tonk bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he he definitely is more of a, a beg off kind of feed the uh, babyface role. Yeah, There's yeah. A, a the match against Tito from Royal Albert Hall, which is one of his first matches uh, that made tape over in WWF. I, I really didn't like that match. I watched it fairly recently, and I was not a fan. I, I thought I'd like it more than I would. Then I ended up up liking it uh, just because of that. Well, you agree, though, Chad, that he does cut some of the best promos of his career in that little run. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I, uh, you got the Thunderlips promo, the uh, 
the Royal Rumble 92 promo and his WrestleMania 8 promo, those are probably three of his maybe top ten yeah. of all time. So that's that's a good stretch right there. Yeah, and uh, I mean, for uh, Sean Mooney fans, that uh, Flair debut, if you haven't seen it, is uh, <laughs> probably the number one moment in Sean Mooney's career as well. So. Yeah, I, I would guess that's probably the biggest moment he had um, doing something in WWF. I don't know, maybe getting licked by the Bushwhackers at WrestleMania Five, but uh, this was number two. Uh, so, so here's the uh, the Chamber of Horrors match. Uh, by this point, it was a complete mess. So Keller says Wyndham will be a heel in the match. Yeah. He says right now it's going to be Wyndham, Oz, Stud, and One Man Gang versus Giante, Steiners, and Singh. So that heel side completely changes. Yeah. By the time we get to the show, and then the only other note, which I thought was really poor is uh you know keller he's in the minneapolis st paul area yeah and he uh, had the advance for an upcoming house show there and he said it was only between 500 and a thousand people yeah so if i have all i have a lot of attendance figures in this week's uh uh set of melters and uh, more on that st paul show in a bit so that's a pretty grim and that's the uh, only thing i had from this torch it was a pretty lackluster edition overall Okay, well, um, uh, yes, uh, there was a lot of stuff about Chris Von Erich, obviously, which I didn't cover because I guess we don't really see many Von Erichs in WCW. Um, no. I so don't, that, yeah, I, don't, well, I guess that is kind of weird. I mean, you know, you just think like they were so prominent throughout the 80s, but we don't have one show where they're, I mean, even, you know, Kerry was an NWA world champion, but yet yeah. in the shows we've covered. They're, we haven't seen them once, have we? No, we won't see any of them, which is... I, uh, I've actually been watching a little bit of David on Eric tagging with Dory Funk Jr. <laughs> oh. Uh, in, a, in a forgotten run from Florida. So uh, more on that soon. <laughs> uh, the, the Von Erics, I, now that I think about it overall, they're probably one of the bigger names of the 80s and 90s that we never see in WCW. Because even if you count like somebody like Bockwinkle as commissioner, we still see him come in, you know? Yeah. I mean, uh, Kerry is still working somewhere, isn't he? Yeah, Kerry at this point was still doing his Texas tornado thing, but he was on the uh, on the decline for sure. Right, okay. but, uh, but yeah, he was still peddling around. He was in that opener at SummerSlam. So um, WCW has organized a steering committee as opposed to a booking committee. Um, Dusty is the director of wrestling operations. That's his official job title. All right. And the committee consists of Jim Crockett, uh, Jim Ross, Dusty himself, Magnum TA, Jim Barnett, and Jim Hurd. Right. So, um, yes. Uh, and I can only imagine that it's Ross. I, I, I keep on speculating. I think it's Jim Ross who basically gives Meltzer a lot of his news week to week. I mean, they clearly know each, have known each other a long time because I listened to that interview with them. I reckon Ross was the office mole at this point. Would you think that's a fair uh, claim to make? Could be Ross, could be Heyman. I think there's a couple of candidates. Yeah, well, it could be both of them, of course. Yeah, we yeah. know he's cl- uh, Cornette's not hanging around anymore, but we know he was close to him too. So, yeah. Um, one man gang's future is in limbo uh, <laughs> after he refused to do a clean job for PN News. <laughs> now, is it just me, or is this like the third or fourth guy? 
um, to get into hot water over refusing a job to PN News. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, unlike other people, One Man Gang did it in a very polite way. Uh, and he did work the match that they're scheduled to do and took a DQ loss. But he was sent home after the show and is not expected to uh, be back at all. So that's it for One Man Gang. Yeah. Any thoughts on that? Um, well, we've come to talk about this a couple of times before, and I mean, my, my theory is you should do your job. I right. uh, think um, if you're asked to a job to PN News, you should do the honors. That If you want to draw a line in the sand at some point, that's fine if you want to kind of dig your heels in on a certain match, but I don't understand why one man gang felt the need to do that on a random house show. Uh, he, he seems to be a very controversial figure backstage, PN News, because a lot of guys don't want a job for him. Yeah, I mean, I can I can understand that, but he, he was... I, I guess you feel like it, he's a guy that... I don't, I don't know how to phrase it, but these types of guys that end up being failures, it's almost like if you job to him, it's not hindered. I mean, yeah. I, mean I guess the most notorious example is nobody looks at Arn Anderson any less because he jobbed in the Renegade. I mean, that's always brought up as one of the most terrible kind of booking uh, decisions of all time. Yeah. I mean, mean, Arn is more, I'd say, revered because he did do the honors and it's always brought up as just a complete kind of ridiculous motion by WCW doing that. So. Okay. Um, Next uh, story we got here. A TV commercial for Gloob Toys featuring Paulie Dangerously has been pulled because Jason Hervey and his agent are suing WCW and Gloob for using Hervey's likeness without his permission. <laughs> Apparently, uh, one of the clips they use is of Paulie hitting Hervey with his phone. <laughs> oh, God. So, um, yeah, I mean, you'd think they'd think about stuff like that, wouldn't you? Like, you can't use just a clip of Jason Hervey getting whacked with a phone without... Or did they figure that they own the footage? So here he yeah, is. I would think yeah, they own the footage. Yeah. Uh, when Terry Taylor was in Hollywood, he um, read for the part of uh, in an ABC action series, apparently. So um, I'm guessing that didn't happen. Uh, but now I think of it, I can see Terry Taylor in a in a TV series. He just looks like a guy who could be in one. <laughs> he has kind of a soap opera look. Yeah from early 90s I could see him on like days of our lives okay in, in the first of a series of uh, um, house show gates uh, Chad the September 14th Greensboro show drew mm-hmm. 1,400 with kids priced at five dollars mm. that right. is terrible yeah Keller gave it a little more credit than that he said around 2,000 so who knows but still that's bad uh, September 15th in Bristol Tennessee 800 with nine no-shows on the card including Pillman, One Man Gang, Brad Armstrong who's actually in Japan and was booked to be there months ago, uh, Big Josh, Oz, Steve Austin, uh, Johnny B. Bad, Lady Blossom and Diamond Stud all no-showed that uh, Tennessee show with no explanation or refund offered to the crowd. Right. And uh, finally uh, for this uh, particular one uh, the Brad Street character is history when Armstrong comes back from Japan, he's going to be wrestling as a masked man called the Web or a Rackner Man. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, and finally, Oz and El Gigante are taping an episode of Swamp Thing. Uh-huh. Uh, ever seen that? 
No. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like an unspecial uh, opportunity uh, there. It would not if I have any say in the matter. Come on, Johnny. <laughs> you know you want to watch that. Um, so my next one is September 30th. Uh, well, yeah, this the September 26th one has a lot of the news that you just talked about. Right. Um, a couple more snippets is, I guess, Flair's been stripped of the NWA title officially. And uh, Heard was appointed the president of the NWA. WCW <laughs> is a part of the NWA again. So this is kind of... Right. This is, this is when we will start to see the uh, NWA championship will come around pretty soon and uh they they sort of rejoin themselves with the nwa after a little bit of a falling out in 1990 and the new board was uh heard gary juster uh jim crockett larry o'day of australia who i've never heard of uh carl and elliot mernick and then steve ricard jr and senior of new zealand so I, I I wouldn't say those are exactly the most illustrious wrestling names. It must have been a dagger to the heart of like Bob Geigel, Geigel and uh, you know Fritz and um, even Sa- Barnett, Barnett and Sam Muchnick. That yeah. Jim Hurd was the new president of the NWA. Right. Christ. So that was that was pretty bad. Uh, and then uh, Tom Zink got himself in a little hot water. He was arrested for battery and drug possession, including steroids and some pot. Wow, good. Uh, is is so, he going to get fired? Well, there's a lot of turmoil for Zinc, and I think uh, his position in the company kind of reflects that. And uh, Keller in this torch did an article talking about kind of the slow signs of improvement for WCW's product. It was mainly based over last week's WCW Saturday Night, and I I, I think you can start to see that. Um, I, I did, we talked a little bit about it in the last Clash, which is weird because that Clash is the nothing show. Um, but it did have some things like the Cactus Jack attack angle and some, some things that sort of felt they breathed new life into WCW and the product overall. And I think the show we're reviewing today kind of um, just expounds on that so you start to see them from an on-air product standpoint start to gain a little momentum here in the fall yeah I'd agree with that a- a- anything else from that, that one? that is it from that one Well, from September the 30th um, I couldn't help but notice that there's a letter from Rob Feinstein <laughs> oh. um, who can't believe how bad WCW has gotten and he's bored with them um, I, I also noticed that Steve Yoey uh, wrote in that month as well, a, a regular a regular contributor. Yeah, Yoey wrote some on the uh, Torch too, kind of review, so he was writing a lot of letters to the newsletters. I wonder how old Rob Feinstein was in 1991. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's see, he'd have had to have been pretty young. I don't yeah. know. He has a Wikipedia. <laughs> I can look that up. Um, well, uh, the news is Abdullah the Butcher will replace One Man Gang in the Chamber of Horrors match teaming with Wyndham, Oz, and Diamond Stud. So uh, at this point, two out of ten, not bad. Um, uh, two out of uh, four, sorry, not bad. Uh, and they'll be against Sting, the Steiners, and El Gigante. Uh, One Man Gang has officially been fired now over his refusal to job to PM News. Uh, in other news, uh, Dick Slater and Dick Murdoch are officially gone. Um, so there we go, Will. Um, 
some doubts over the future of Clash specials uh, because production costs are rising while ratings are falling. And uh, finally, this was a quite slow news week. Um, WCW are keeping the Chamber of Horrors match rules a mystery and are trying to sell the entire card on mystery with the uh, Halloween Phantom, of course, a mystery, the identity of the creatures, uh, you know, a tag team uh, under masks are a mystery, the rules of the Chamber are a mystery, plus why is Barry Windham on the heel side is also a mystery. So uh, what do you think about the idea of selling a card on a mystery angle, Chad, on a mystery Um, idea? I think Havoc's a gimmicky show that you can get away with that. Uh, kind of these spooky type characters. Uh, it's, it's I, I'm, I go back and forth. I mean, in a current day example, Pro Wrestling Gorilla has a mystery vortex show. Uh, mm-hmm. They've done a couple of those where nothing's announced. Um, they just have kind of, it's almost, uh, it's not like a lethal lottery, but it's kind of that same vibe, you know, where you don't know what the matches are going to be ahead of time. Uh, I, so, so I kind of think that's exciting to watch as a fan sometimes, but I, I think the real money matches in wrestling history have been shown to be stuff that's been built and you know ahead of time what it's going to be. So I, I, as, as kind of a bridge to get there, I, I have no problem with kind of mystery aspects, but I think once you start to want to build a program that'll be very, uh, very good draw, then you need to have a set clear motion of what the programs are going to be and announce those way ahead of time and build to those. Yeah, maybe a mystery partner sometimes could be can be quite yes, good. Yes, yes, yes. We'll see. I mean, WCW around this time really does do a lot of mystery. Um, in the next clash, they have a mystery partner. Uh there's a there's the angle of the who's sending the gift boxes to Steam, which is a mystery. Yeah. There's the lethal lottery at Starcade, which kind of has a mystery random aspect to it. So there there was a lot of kind of surprise mystery elements in WCW in this time period. So my next melts is October the seventh. Okay, October third. Uh, it was Torch 141. Um, this was one I'd recommend if you can go back and read. Um, uh, it's apparently the latest set of tapings weren't as good as the previous ones, and they're setting up a Dustin versus Luger program down the road. Uh, kind of a couple of promos back and forth with each other. But but I, those were the only tidbits. But there's an article from Mark Madden in this Torch. It's a, it's a crazy article. He goes in. Um, I guess the Observer had some quotes from him on Bruno. And right. I don't know if you saw that. So so he gives a very scolding uh, rendition of how Bruno only wants yes men friends, and that Bruno uh, once he read the quotes, he called Madden up, threatened him to beat him up and sue him. <laughs> <laughs> and right. then, uh, so that was kind of a falling out between Bruno and Madden. Uh, Madden did grow up in the Pittsburgh area, idolized Bruno, so what, pr- what, pretty uh, rough. What, I mean, what has he said about, what, what did he have to say about him? Well, I, I th- I, it's mainly just that Bruno kind of will only be your friend if you see his side of things. 
and right, the, okay. um, he's kind of buried his head in the sand with the whole wrestling product and uh, I think a lot resulted in the David San Martino and Bruno they were having their issues around this time so well, I mean Bruno was very bitter against the business at this point because yes. uh, he didn't like the steroids and he also just didn't like the way the product was going like away right. from uh, you know traditional values and things so. right so kind of as a counter argument to Bruno letting him down he builds up flair Wow, and he talks cool. about how Flair is an untarnished hero in his eyes, and that Flair certainly has more passion about wrestling and not becoming bitter, um, which, which I thought was very interesting to read in 2014, this in 1991, because um, I'd, I'd almost say that's reversed now, you know, where Bruno's kind of seen as the, the old man that uh, it kind of has kind of finally let go of his grudges and still has his life together you know lives a nice life um still in good shape for his age and flair is seen as uh i, I would definitely say more tarnished where he's kind of had a mess of things going on in his personal life and went back on his word and seen the, i guess more of the more uh, carny aspects of the business with flares came out in the last few years Oh, absolutely, and it's weird. Like Flair has um, taken a couple of pot shots at Bruno in the past as well, so it's quite interesting. It would be those two. Yeah. Um, so for whatever reason, those two don't see eye to eye. Don't. Uh, I, I think Flair didn't rate Bruno as a as a wrestler, basically. Right. Right. Which I can see that. So that was a very interesting article um, of this set of torches. I thought that was probably the most interesting one. Mm -hmm. um, and then also in this. Uh, Torch, a Paul Arndorf Torch Talk starts, which is a pretty interesting read. There's more in the next issue, but it, it, I mean, it's, it's a pretty basic overview, but he gives Vince a lot of credit for seeing the potential in people and putting it all together. Um, which which I thought was interesting because Keller talks about like whether he thinks he deserves more credit for the success of WrestleMania one and all this and and uh, you know Orndorff at this time was not in the WWL so I, I don't know if he was had an agenda to kind of angle to see if he could get back in or what but he was pretty frank in saying that it was kind of Vince that put the package together in his eyes where he thought like they would be big regional stars elsewhere him piper and hogan but it was kind of them all coming together with vince's vision that made it as successful as it was i i think you can really draw an you could make an argument that you could pretty much have put anyone in an indoor spot and they would have drawn the similar numbers well, anyone 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 competent i would say yeah competent i don't know heel. Yeah, I, w I would think that just on the surface, because, I mean, it's not like Orndorff is one of these larger-than-life, once-in-a-lifetime type characters, you know? Yeah. But, but him and Hogan, I mean, it could be just that was the peak of Hogan um, overall. But, I mean, him and Hogan's business, when you read the results and see how well they drew, I mean, it's astounding. I mean, I mean you would think, like, Hogan and Savage... Yeah. Which are all better, just kind of on the surface. But I mean, Orndorff and Hogan outdrew Savage and Hogan. Um, so, so again, I don't know how much of that is Hogan was just at his absolute peak of popularity. But, yeah. but I do think Orndorff deserves some credit, and that it is a little surprising. I mean, because like I said, I don't think Orndorff is kind of the natural fall to Hogan. Um, 
it's a lot of I, I do know those figures are phenomenal when you when you look at them. I mean, they're ridiculous, especially uh, like there's the, there's gates up in Canada and things as well, which are you know they're like they're easily doing like over twenty five thousand you know yeah, every night yeah. and things. So they were gangbusters. So yeah, that's and, it. Um, well, my next one, October the seventh. Melter talks about an intense TV brawl with uh, Abdullah the Butcher taking on uh, Bobby Eaton, uh, <laughs> and he reckons that this is really good. Now, is this match any good, Chad? Have you seen this? I have no recollection of this. I don't know. Uh... Yeah, he reckons it's, it's like one of the most intense TV brawls he's ever seen, and uh, Cactus Jack does a running. So, um, try to find that one, um, footage fans. Um, apparently, the original finish for the Chamber of Horrors was going to be one-man gang getting electrocuted by one of the special effects gimmicks. The, electro- <laughs> <coughs> the electrocution wouldn't injure or kill gang, but it would cause him to get amnesia, and he, and he would come back thinking he was the Reverend Billy Bright and be a, a character babyface. But obviously, none of this is going to happen. <laughs> so there we go. Uh, can you imagine that? Yeah, I, well, I can sadly imagine that, but I don't think it'd be very good at all. I, th- I, uh, on the contrary, uh, seeing how one man gang threw himself into the Akeem character, I think uh, <laughs> him as Reverend Billy Bright would be fantastic. Yeah. <clears throat> um, more attendance uh, figures now. September the twenty-sixth, two thousand fans in an eighteen thousand seat building in St. Louis. Uh, and this will be the last time they get to work the arena because of dismal attendance figures. Mm. <clears throat> and that is significant because WF have the rest of St. Louis on smack, on uh, lockdown, which means this effectively means WCW were locked out of working St. Louis for the foreseeable future. Wow. Um, in fact, the nearest one is in a, like a nearby town in uh, Illinois, uh, which has a 2,500... Uh, high school gym, and apparently that's the closest they're going to get to St. Louis from now on. So, um, September the 28th, uh, <clears throat> and this is that St. Paul show, uh, Chad. Yeah, they did 2,500 there, right? Um, compared with 5,000 for a WF show the previous night in Minneapolis. So, you can see how the two companies were drawing in the Twin Cities at that time. Yeah, Keller had a lot about that kind of the contrast. Um, well, yeah, but, I mean, 5,000 is still not great in Minneapolis, I reckon. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't I don't think that would be outstanding around this point, but uh, I, I guess subjected to 1991 in wrestling, that's not terrible. Well, anyway, this next one I think is terrible. September the 29th, Chicago, 1,368. Yeah, that's really bad. Jesus that's the uh, That's the third biggest market. Or second or third biggest market in the U.S. So. I mean that that is appalling in uh, in Chicago. So and uh, they had local TV in Chicago too. So so that's it for this one. I, I, I have October fourteenth is my next. Okay, October tenth is towards one forty two. Um, he lists some wrestlers <laughs> possibly coming in, which is Rude Ron Powers, who is the Windy City champion. Uh, Medusa, and then Randy Savage, which I thought was different. Um, yeah, the Savage story is one I don't have. What's uh, what's the deal there? I, I, I guess Savage was 
as a little bit of possibility of coming in. I don't know if this is when him and Vince, he was ready to come back, and uh, Vince didn't want him to, uh, so they had a little bit of unrest in WWF, but uh, it, it's kind of one of those stories where he mentions it, and then it's gone, so I don't, I don't think it was too heated, but uh, he does have it as a possibility. The one-man gang is gone from WCW, but he's still in the top ten. <laughs> which feels like a WCW-type moment. And then uh, Van Hammer apparently was very clumsy on the uh, on all the house show reports, and actually that St. Paul report that Keller went to live, he really uh, takes it to Van Hammer's that he botched three of the five moves he attempted and <laughs> really runs down Van Hammer. Yeah, and, and that's a common note in all of the uh, house show reports from Meltzer at this point. It's like, uh, you know... Um, Van Hammer over so and so in a in a one minute terrible match. <laughs> like every every single one terrible match, <laughs> dud every single time. So there we go. <laughs> so I thought uh, Bruce Mitchell had a a column in this torch. It's one forty two, and uh, it was pretty interesting where he talks about how Ross and Paulie are overexposed on the weekend shows. Um, he gives a number about how many times they cut to them to react to what the segment that just happened. And then he made a pretty astute point, I thought, where he kind of listed stuff that you knew about Ross, like about his football liking and just sort of his personal stuff that he'd been married before, you know, kind of stuff that yeah. Ross throws out there. And then he was like, compare that to somebody else that's in the company like Oz. Like, how much do you know about Oz as a character? Just that he's from us. And so he said, like, they sort of give all this personal info about themselves, but little about the new wrestlers. Uh, He also used Johnny B. Bad, that Johnny B. Bad, you know, essentially all we know from him right now is he's a little Richard knockoff that may or may not be gay. Right. That's the only piece of info we know of him as a character. Um, So I thought that was interesting and uh, kind of true. Good point, actually, yeah. Especially Ross, especially Ross. Right, and that's uh, that was it from this torch. Yeah, and uh, my next one, October fourteenth, also really short on news. Yeah. Um, so short, in fact, that um, Meltzer decides that he's going to give us the criteria for the end of uh, year awards. Um, well, he still know, does that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much you want to go into it, but uh, the, the main thing is that those best babyface and heel awards are based on drawing, whereas outstanding wrestler is based on work. And wrestler of the year is a you know combined yeah. combination of in ring and business, so yeah. Um, but he goes through all of them, uh, you know. Um, yeah, he still does that in the, the observers today, where he uh, takes space to go down all the awards. Um, before you know, before I mean, of course, the actual awards issue, he runs them down. But even before that, he'll give the list of categories. So, yeah. Um, okay. So well, I won't dwell on that too much. Um, the 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 only other thing uh, from this one is that uh, the the reason for the big uh, Bill Kazmaier push uh, around this point is because they're planning on running on headlining a run with Luger versus Kazmaier oh. in November, including a card at the Forum in LA. Oof. That sounds terrible. That does sound terrible. <laughs> I mean, I, I, as good as good as I still think Luger was in '91, uh, I don't know what he could do with Kazmaier. No, yeah, nothing. I would say. Um, 
And my next one is October 21st. Oh, that was really bad. Okay, so uh, October 17th, Torch 143 has Medusa debuting. Uh, Keller has an editorial where he says it's finally time to remove Jim Hurd. <laughs> and I don't know what at this point made Keller decide to take a stand, but he had a pretty good article on that where it was finally time to uh, make the change. And then uh, I guess the biggest story was Paul Lee was suspended indefinitely with pay from WCW on October 7th. Yes. Uh, and th- this, this whole situation I thought was ridiculous. Um, I don't, I don't know what info you have, but it, it essentially was a game of telephone, right? Where, um, I mean, the way Keller describes it, um, there was plans to do a unification match with Lawler. Yeah. Um, which which would have been very interesting. I, I, I think that could have actually drawn well at Starcade if they'd have done that. Uh, that seems like one of those what else. Um, but I but I guess Paul Lee talked to Eddie Gilbert and. Uh, and then yes. word got back to Lawler, and then Lawler pulled out, and he was upset. Gilbert knew about this, and so, uh, and then so Heard found out that was the reason negotiations fizzled, and got pissed at Paul Lee. It just seemed like these these four or five guys just embattled in a he said she said yeah, situation. Well, it, what um what Dave has got is on the October twenty first edition. He has the um, a radio interview with Eddie Gilbert, right? Um, where he more or less shits on Jim Hurd, WCW. Yeah, he's got some unkind things to say about Jim Ross, for example. Yeah, yeah. Gilbert does a torch talk, starting with the next torch. So I guess yeah. he was uh, trying to present himself in the best light with all the newsletters. Yeah, and and Paulie, like he basically stands up for Paulie, yeah, uh, a little bit. And this is the I think this is the fallout from it. But um, Melter's take is that he basically, you know, he says there's lots of speculation around it, um, you know, ranging from Paulie being legit suspended for the rest of his contract to this being kind of a work because they want to use him as a manager. Right. So that's that's essentially what he's got on it. Yeah, it, it was just, I thought it was one of the more weird situations because I, I didn't remember reading about the Lawler versus Luger um, yeah. possibility before. So I thought that was interesting, but um, I, I don't know. It, it felt like they could have handled that whole situation better, and it was just kind of they were relying on stuff that people said behind people's backs, and I, it was a very bizarre situation. And that's yes. that was that was it from uh, this torch. Okay, yeah. Well, I mean, melter has got all that stuff. Um, I mean, Gilbert goes on about. Um, uh, Jim Hurd only getting the job because he's friends with uh, Jack Petrick. Um, yeah, you know, yeah, that was in there too. Um, but yeah, the only other news I've got here, in fact, there's a few bits in the in this one. Vader is coming back at the end of the month to work a feud with. Any guesses, Chad? Oh, uh, yeah, I have the note here for my next <laughs> one, so I, know, I already know who you're going to say. It is PN News. Uh, <laughs> And I have to say, I wouldn't mind seeing Vader just kick this crap out of PND. Like, treat him like a he would punch bag. And uh, I think that would be quite entertaining. What do you reckon? 
I don't know. <laughs> um, in other news, where the big boys play legend Ranger Ross and the NAACP are making noise about WCW's character uh, Private Todd Champion. Since Ross is a legit military man, unlike Champion, um, he didn't get the spot, with the claim being it's because he's black and uh, Todd Champion is... What do you think about that? Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> respectfully disagree. What's the real reason you don't think Ranger Ross is getting that spot? Yeah, he sucks. That's <laughs> <what>. <laughs> Poor Ranger Ross. Okay. Um... Sting has signed a three-year deal. Yeah. First year, yeah. First year, 500k. Second year, 600k. Third, 700k. Meltzer says take those fingers uh, with a grain of salt. What do you reckon, Chad? Um, I, I don't, I don't know what. Uh, I, I, I guess they sound okay to me, but I, I thought this is interesting that Sting signed this deal. Um, at this point in time, I don't know how much negotiations he had with WWF or WWF even attempted to uh, woo him, but uh, did seem kind of like the first of many instances where Steam was very loyal to either WCW or later on TNA. And well, you know, in w- through the history of WCW, Sting was consistently one of the highest-paid wrestlers in the world. Right, consistently. Um, you know that 700k figure. I know. I know. Uh, for example, in '95, um, Sting was on about that because um, I remember. I remember hearing. Uh, you know when Luger comes back mm-hmm. uh, to WCW, like Luger takes a really, really cut price deal when he comes back to WCW, um, and Sting at that point was earning something like 20 times as much as Luger during '95. So yeah, I've heard. I've heard this before about Sting's pay packet being massive um which uh, when you consider some of these uh, house show numbers uh baffles me <laughs> yeah i mean on the on the service you can see that like you can see oh a flare gone sting is their biggest star but uh but yeah. i guess it's not congruent to how well they're actually drawing so yeah. well um the october 11th st louis arena show and this would be their last st louis date through 1,600 fans and reportedly Mike George said that jobbing to Van Hammer in 30 seconds was the most humiliating thing he's ever had to do <laughs> in 23 years as a pro wrestler yeah. so uh, there we go, Mike George uh, a much better wrestler than Van Hammer <laughs> Mike George is uh, now all of a sudden this <laughs> establishment of the veterans or whatever <laughs> Um, October the 12th, uh, Omnicard drew 4,500 in the building, but uh, only 2,800 were paid. Uh, What do you reckon about that as an Omni show? It's pretty poor. Yeah. Uh, Van Hammer's push is getting a lot of heat with the boys. Someone played a prank where they put Vaseline on his guitar strap, so when he (laughs) swung it round, it got out of control and gave him a black eye. (laughs) At this point, he's rooming with Johnny B. Bad, and uh, he got additional heat for the fact that him and Bad uh, were late for a Kansas show, which meant that his match had to go on like semi-main because he was just late for the show. <laughs> and then um, on the following Sunday at the Greensboro show, they missed their flight and uh, missed the entire card. Oh. So Van Hammer is not popular with the boys. No. <laughs> um, and. Uh, here we go, Chad, and uh, if you have any children at home, cover up your ears, because 
October the 13th, Greensboro Show, 430. Holy Ooh. fucking shit, Chad. Man. 430, and that is Crockett Country. Uh, that's an all-time low for pro wrestling in the building, and it's 32-year history. God. I repeat, 430 fans. What the hell happened there? What was on top of that? Do you know? Uh, well, let me let me go and have a look at that uh, particular uh, newsletter. I have it here in front of me. Because um, that is just... That is one awful. One of the... Uh, let's have a look. Um, that is really bad. Here we go. Uh, let's have a look. Um, okay, so th- I'll just run through the card uh, quickly. Uh, Taylor Taylor and Rich against the Young Pistols uh, Big Josh pinned Axel Rotten dud um, PN News pinned Oz dud uh, Morton pinned Eaton uh, when Terence Taylor interfered the Enforcers beat the Freebirds two and a half stars uh, Dustin Rhodes against Austin DQ in 13 minutes uh, three stars Steiners against Abdullah um, and Cactus Jack sorry hold on uh, no, Sting versus Cactus Jack. Uh, uh-huh. Four and a quarter stars. Um, and then Wyndham and Simmons against Luger and Hughes was uh, top of that card. So that's so, that's the 18. That's so yeah, really it's uh, it's got Wyndham and Simmons against Luger and Hughes with Sting and Jack on uh, on the semi-main. So that is just atrocious. Uh, atrocious. Um, and then finally, uh, Luger and Simmons drew just 1,800 in Tallahassee, Florida, uh, which is where, Chad, Florida State University is located. Right. So, so that's got to be pretty disappointing from the point of view of the Simmons push. Yeah, kind of as a hometown crowd. No, wouldn't, would you, wouldn't you think that they'd look at that and think, hmm, shall we run with a Simmons deal or not? Huh. Uh yeah, but I mean, I think by this point they were already committed to Halloween Havoc, and yeah. as as we see with this show, it's not. Um, and th- this was not a long term program that they had in mind. So. Yeah, no, I have. Uh, I'll just finish up from October the twenty eighth because I've literally just got two more bits of news. Very okay. slow news week again. Uh, the Baltimore uh, October seventeenth show did one thousand, which is an all time low in that building. So they're they're breaking records left, right, and centre with their attendance here, Chad. Yeah. Um, I mean, one thousand in Baltimore, uh, and uh, apparently the the cage for the Chamber of Horrors is going to be the same cage as the Thunderdome right. uh, one from Halloween Havoc '89, with a few alterations. So there we go. <laughs> Which we uh, saw that. <laughs> um, the the torch one forty four October twenty fourth Steamboat has quit the WWF. More on that upcoming weeks. Tom Zink's facing six felonies, including uh, steroid possession. So there's that. And then kind of one of those neat little tidbits that Keller just threw out there, but would have much more significance later. He just says DDP is going to become a wrestler. Wow, okay. <laughs> uh, which is funny like he just it's just like a throwaway line but that'll end up being one of the biggest stars of uh, latter day WCW and yeah. uh, and then kind of Keller previewed the show and he was looking forward to it so that was it yeah no, the one thing I'll say with Zenk uh, you know his six felonies there well one of them uh, was one of the was one of the uh, crimes like a crime against charisma <laughs> <laughs> 
crimes against wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. All right. Well, uh, that's it for the Meltzers. Let's get on to the review. They're right in front again. Steiner does not want to be there. And Cactus Jack is up near the switch. Cactus Jack is up near the switch. There he is. They're ready. They're going to put Steiner in there. Steiner's got to fight for his life. Oh, he fell into Bellamy. He's got Abdullah in there. He fell into Bellamy. What strength by Rick Steiner. He's trying to hook Abdullah. The crowd here going crazy in the opening moments of Halloween Havoc. Cactus Jack, he thinks Steiner's in there, but it's Abdullah. Cactus Jack thought it was Rick Steiner, but Abdullah. My gosh. Think about what he's experiencing. He's getting cooked. And I think he's well done, guys. Okay. All right, so um, Halloween Havoc 91. Uh, what was the date on this one, Charlie? I, uh... So October the 27th, which is a, a kind of interesting. T- so there's a couple of snippets on the show just right off the start. One is uh, this was the first ever WCW pay-per-view I watched. So I'm, I'm, me personally, I've been nostalgic for the show. Yeah. And uh, number two, this you'll see a couple of references. There's a gravestone that says R.I.P. Minnesota Twins. And mm. when the Freebirds come out, they're tomahawk chopping, and the crowd's tomahawk chopping a lot. And uh, th- this show went head to head with Game Seven of the World Series. Right. And and this was yeah. still at a point of time where baseball was kind of the preeminent sport. And um in the uh, in the US and the World Series the 91 World Series between the Braves and the Minnesota Twins is usually touted as one of the best World Series of all time uh, very competitive games a lot of great moments uh, the, the Twins ended up winning game 7 uh, oh, crushing, oh. crushing hearts but, one, uh, one piece of news I forgot to read Chad is that um, they actually um, Jim Hurd made an offer for one of the Minnesota Twins players yeah, can't uh, hurt back. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I didn't mention it because I'm assuming nothing came of it. But no. um, like a baseball player in wrestling, has that ever happened? It's just, uh, seems really weird to me. Yeah, it? that was just a controversial thing because of him. He had a very controversial play where he ran into uh, a player, so that was kind of there. But yeah, the the game seven was uh, absolutely amazing. Uh, game, but it ended up going ten innings, and the Twins won one to nothing. So uh, John Smoltz for the Braves started that game um, and didn't give up any runs, which was uh, a great feat. And that was a sad. Uh, you really thought, I guess, the the uh, Braves had that World Series kind of. So I'm guessing the World Series outdrew Halloween Havoc. Yeah. I yeah, I was just thinking, like, if you were to have a guy whose gimmick was baseball player, what moves would he do? Baseball slide, clearly. He'd probably did, uh, have a baseball bat, bring, bring a baseball bat to the ring. What else? <laughs> yeah, he got Abe Knuckleball Schwartz. What was in his arsenal? I can't remember. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm wondering, actually, if they do... Uh, 
uh, a variation on the claw where they have that you know that catch, <laughs> that, you know that catching glove that they've got. You know? <laughs> uh, anyway, um, yeah. No, so we're getting into a stretch of shows now, Chad, where I have seen all of these shows before at some point or another, but right. I, I've only seen the Turner edits. Uh, in fact, that's been the case for a lot of the 1990 shows as well. But uh, this was one of those shows where I'd never seen the full show. I'd only ever seen the Turner edit. So uh, some of this stuff was new to me. Mm. Uh, like I'd never seen the Creatures before, for example. Uh, yeah, yeah, I would say this is probably my most watched WCW show of all time, actually. Because I watched this show a lot as a kid. I did something with the Havoc theme... Um, I mean, to me, the Halloween theme is something I wish WWE did today. I don't know why they don't have Halloween Havoc as a show. Um, it, it seems like a great ready-made theme for them in October. Yeah. So it's it's something they don't utilize near enough. They could utilize The Undertaker more during Halloween Havoc. Well, during even, Halloween. I mean, now they do have Hell in a Cell in October. Yeah, Hell in a Cell as a match could work under the Halloween Havoc banner. It just, yeah. uh, I don't know. Okay, well, um, Chamber of, uh, and I just thought of another gimmick that you could use at Halloween. The Ghosts of Wrestling Past. You could, have like, a, you could have like old legends come back for one match, you know. Let's see the ghost of IRS taking on. That is not a bad idea, actually. That is actually on the par spectrum. That is one of the better ideas. Um, so the Chamber of Horrors uh, match then. Um, now, I did think, if you look at this heel side, Vader, Diamond Stud, Cactus Jack, and Abdullah. Right. That's four legends, basically. Yeah, I mean, I would say of those four, Diamond Stud would end up having the least iconic career overall, mm-hmm. and uh, that's uh, yeah, that's you. You have two Hall of Fame or three Hall of Famers, and then him. Yeah, and and you know he's probably one of the most significant people of the nineties, if you could right, argue, right. you know, in sure. terms of impact. Yeah. Anyway, uh, they're taking on Sting, the Steiners. And uh, El Gigante, um, whose name I still can't pronounce. Uh-huh. Yeah, really, besides Gigante, the all seven, seven out of these eight are big-time names, uh, I, I guess, in the business overall. Absolutely, uh, Chad. Just uh, don't fall into the trap of calling Sting a Hall of Famer, because you'll draw the ire of many people. <laughs> um, so just going into this, uh, there's, I mean, there's a couple of things that we have to talk about right off the bat. The refer eye camera. Yes. What do you think about this as an idea? Uh, that's the most WCW idea I've ever heard. It, 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 on, in theory, it sounds like it could be cool, but it just made me dizzy watching the show. Mm. Uh, I didn't think it added anything. It also made uh, Nick Patrick look a bit silly when you when you saw that's him with the helmet too. on. Um, and uh, the other thing I have to mention is the masked men in the caskets, yes. which is a really weird aspect of this match. Um, <laughs> No, I guess uh, you've had a lot of time to think about this. Uh, what do you reckon? Um, well, I, to me, this is one of those matches where this is where I think some of the WWE fan bias comes in, and and by that I mean if WCW would have won the war, the wrestling war, and WWF, WWE didn't exist now, I think I think this would have been looked at as kind of a goofy funky type gimmick match right but not seen as 
oh, listen, you know, WCW, of course, booked this shit. You know how there's kind of an undertone, like, of course, WCW had a Chamber of Horrors match. Um, You know, typical WCW booking, where when you watch this as a match overall, I mean, I don't think this is nearly the dud that it's kind of made out to be in certain aspects. And and if you think about the way things like, um, think about that, like, Saturday Night's main event Halloween special. Right. Like shit like JYD and Jimmy Hart going on a slide, you know, on a water slide race. I mean, the Survivor Series in 1990 had a prominent segment with the gobbledygooker. Right. I, I think this was much more, uh, I guess, fit the product better than the gobbledygooker dancing with me and Gene for 10 minutes on pay-per-view. So. Hmm. And then that, I mean, yeah, n- yeah, nobody is touting the gobbledygooker as one of the iconic WWF moments, but it seems like more they laugh and just kind of shake their head at that, whereas this is just like, oh, this is, you know, typical WCW bullshit, or, you know. They... Yeah. And how much do you think the whole wrestle crap thing has to do with that? Um, you know, that whole... Uh, yeah, that, that whole community, I think contributes to this but uh I, I guess it's just i don't know it does sort of bother me that i do feel like there's a lot more harsher tone and and people are a lot more unforgiving to wcw for stuff like this than with wwf in certain instances i think this is probably the biggest example okay um because, i mean i mean as a match i thought it was really actually very good until the uh the actual torture chamber lowered um a big brawl it felt kind of like a tamed war games i mean everybody was going at it there was some crazy shots the uh the casket shot that sting gives to cactus jack where he basically lifts the the, uh entire solid wood lid of the casket and dumps it right on cactus's head do you think they planned that uh, I don't know uh, because cause... if I was if I was Foley, I would be absolutely like, "What the hell are you doing, Sting?" Uh, <laughs> I mean, Foley's nuts, but it made a terrible thud. <laughs> I mean, God. And then, but then he gets that stick broke right over his head too, and you yeah. can see it like he like is just gushing blood. Mm. So uh, Foley was, I thought, a maniac in this match. Once once the chamber lowered. Uh, I think the action slowed down. It kind of ran out its weapon, uh, its welcome, and then the finish is a goofy one where Foley is climbing up to electrocute Rick Steiner, and the lever of the electrocution keeps falling down. Did you notice that? Like it was, yes, it right. would keep falling in the off position, and Mike Atkins would have to lift it up, but. Uh, but this really contrived finish where Foley wastes all this time and uh, Rick Steiner's able to belly-to-belly Abdullah into the chair and plug him in. And then Cactus is trying not to look, but it's very obvious with the camera angle that he's looking to see that everything's in place. And then he pulls the lever and we get electrocuted fried uh, Abdullah, which is <laughs> <laughs> certainly a wrestle crap moment. That 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 scene with him jiggling his uh, titties bouncing in the air. But uh... the, the biggest surprise about this match to me, uh, Chad, is that uh, Abdullah's in it. Doesn't get his foreign object though. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
Like, this might be the one Abdullah match on tape where he doesn't have the uh, doesn't have the fork or yeah, or the little the... fork or the little jab thing. He does yeah. have his little voodoo stick, but yeah. Um, yeah, and his uh, his arms look disgusting at this point. Yeah, his, yeah. Uh, like uh, underarm flab boob thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, what what do you think of El Gigante in this match? He was around. Um, he was around. Um, I mean, he slugged out a lot with Vader. Which I thought was an odd pairing. Um, I, I didn't. I didn't find him offensive. I mean, I mean, I didn't think he was great, but I certainly didn't come out of this match thinking he was a Billy Graham candidate. So it, it's very hard to um, kind of follow the match. Um, right. And my main criticism, Chad, is that it, even though you've got all this stuff going on, it doesn't feel wild to me. Like you'd want a brawl type match like this to feel. Um, I, I, I guess you disagree with that, do you? Yeah, I thought the first half did. I thought with the uh, kind of some of the more aspects of the weapons and the the people coming out of the caskets, and then um, when the thing's lowering and Cactus Jack almost gets squished, I've always like that's one of the most memorable moments where like the thing's lowering down and he rolls away. Uh, which I think is kind of I, I've always enjoyed that I, I do agree the second half kind of felt like them sort of run walking around and hitting each other um, but but the first half I thought had a pretty good chaotic feel because it starts right on the rampway too which I thought was interesting uh, incidentally uh, some people some listeners I know our, our buddy uh, Brad of a place to be nation fame uh, was wondering who some of those jobbers were uh, like who the jobber is who comes out of the casket. Yeah. Uh, that is the Night Stalker. Um, yeah. uh, Brian Clark. So there you go. <laughs> um, Meltzer went minus two stars on this, Chad. Right. And uh, Keller went... <laughs> you will love Keller's ratings on this show. He went two and three quarter. Two and three quarters? Yes. Okay. <laughs> why? Why? Uh, I don't know, but I, I tell you, I'm more with Keller on this. I It's a tough match to rank, but I think if I had to rank it, I think I'd go and definitely positive stars. I mean, I don't think it's a good match, but uh, I'm kind of around the two and a half myself. Melter says, now aren't you sorry that one man gang quit so he couldn't be put in the chair, get amnesia, and come back as a babyface reverend? That's what he says. Uh, yeah. I have no idea how to rank, how to rate this match because no. it just kind of like it's so weird. It just kind of happens. I mean, I do think um, the idea of somebody getting electrocuted is retarded. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's so stupid and is really like kayfabe breaking nonsense. Um, so I just think that's a really bad idea. Uh, but in general, um, there's a lot of quite. Like like we talked about, there's a lot of quite violent stuff that happened to this man, so I don't know. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna just put my rating is officially NA. I just oh don't, my god! I just don't know what to do. <laughs> this is one of the probably the biggest matches. I would honestly say this is maybe one of the more memorable matches we'll review. Uh, it's kind of sad to say that, but yeah. I mean, I mean, think from like ninety to ninety four. Do you think? like more matches I mean what matches do you think are more I guess mainstream known than this there's not a lot I don't think uh, even I, like the Vader versus Sting stuff I don't think people I, have watched that as much as this Sting Cactus maybe 
maybe. I, I, I was trying to think about that, but like I, I mean, uh, like Super Brawl one tag. I, I would my, think my, my mind goes to the uh, um, the Wheel of Fortune that they do. Uh, oh, spin the wheel, make the deal. Yeah, yeah with Sting and uh, I think that and, got uh, a lot. Jake. Yeah. That got quite a lot of wrestle crap type coverage back in the day. So maybe yeah, I can you... see that. But um, uh... okay, um, yeah, I mean, if forced, Chad, if you really held a gun to my head, I'd probably say I don't know, one and a half stars. Yeah, <laughs> something like I, that. I guess we should mention too before that match started, we had a little backstage segment where uh, the enforcers break Wyndham's wrist. Oh no, I didn't get this. I didn't get this. So what happened? Oh, oh, so it starts out, like, the show starts out with, uh, they cut to Bischoff is outside, and, uh, it's, it's a pretty funny segment where Cactus and Abdullah arrive in a car, and Cactus yells bang bang at him, and then DDP and the Diamond Stud arrive in the car, and DDP has one of his great lines where he's like, they got you parking cars now, Bischoff. See ya! And he <laughs> says that as only DDP can. And then, uh, and then Wendell and Dustin come up in a convertible. And as soon as they come up, the enforcers come out of nowhere and wedge uh, Wendell's hand in between the door handle and right. the uh, in the car and slam the, the uh, car door against Wendell's wrist. I, I've seen that before. Yeah, so uh, uh, Dustin rushes segment. them to the hospital. Yeah, and, and that would be the thing that, uh, well, as we'll see, Jesse Ventura moans about for the next three years. Right. And this, this was kind of a shoot. I mean, this was a kind of an angle to get out of a shoot injury. So uh, Keller had Wendell out of six months to a year. So. Six months to a year. That doesn't happen to he? these back, isn't he? I don't think he's gone that long, but he's yeah. gone a a decent amount, yeah. Right. Um, okay. Uh, well, we go over to Eric Bischoff, who's with Missy Hyatt. Uh, <laughs> what do you think of Bischoff's Bulgarian accent, Jared? Yeah, his, uh, his Dracula, I guess, <laughs> costume. And I don't know what Missy was. A circus performer? Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know, but yeah. Um, yeah, the Young Pistols come out, and they want uh, the U.S. titles from the Patriots. <laughs> Um, in an angle and interview that I couldn't care less about. What do you think, Chad? <laughs> I, I, I love this. This is one of the the Young Pistols interview. It's like I, I think you'd have to be Southern to appreciate some of the tones and sayings, colloquialisms <laughs> that Tracy busted out here. But what well, what it was like? We don't give a hoot and a holler and all this <laughs> other stuff. So uh, yeah. You enjoyed that, did you, Chad? It was uh, a little taste of home in the show. Okay, well, that's for uh, Chad and his homeboys in uh, in <laughs> Atlanta, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Uh, um. So um. Now it's the creatures who <laughs> taking on PN News and Big Josh. Uh, who are the creatures? Any idea? Yeah. So the creatures are Joey Mags and Johnny Rich. Right. Uh, Really, two jobbers. So things going very well in the career of Johnny Rich at this point. Right. Uh, yes. Um, and they are kind of two guys in green, kind of like what they like creatures from a swamp. Is that the idea? Yeah, look a little like swamp thing type creatures. They have kind of the green swampy mothy type tights and mask. Um, 
I don't yes. know. Now, for all this the, felt very one-off. For all the attention that people give the Chamber of Horrors about being rest of crap, um, that verse by PN News is the, is the single biggest travesty on this show. I mean, Pierre Neves can't rap, he is—he has no flow, he is absolutely atrocious, and he's disgustingly fat and not in you a good didn't, way. Did you not write this one down verbatim? Oh, absolutely. I, no, no way. Oh, I'm so sad. I, I shouldn't <laughs> have done it. I would fall for sure you would. I can't remember. If, oh, I'm trying to remember how it goes. It's like, it's Halloween Havoc 91. We're going to get together and have some fun or something, and... Uh, Yo baby, yo yeah, baby, yo baby, yo. yo. And they they cut to the crowd of this uh, fat white guy who's like <laughs> the whitest looking guy ever yelling, yo baby, yo baby, yo. Oh, it's the word that that shot of that <laughs> fan. Jesus Christ, <laughs> whooping with his hand and saying, yo baby, yo. That fan was everywhere on this show. They showed him like twenty times. Now, you know, I've taken some flack recently for being so critical of ROH fans. I'm I'm equally critical of that guy. I think he's a disgrace to wrestling fans. <laughs> um, PN News is, oh, Jesus. I mean, like, he's horrible. He's f- just so fat. I hate the guy. <laughs> um, but I'm more interested in, how about what you think of uh, Big Josh Wrestling God that we see in the show. Uh, so, so this may, I think this will be, I, I feel like this show, much like Kelly wanted to book this show as surprises, I think our review may be some surprises, uh, because I thought this in-ring was one of the better performances of both PN News and Big Josh. Okay. Uh, P, PN does a drop kick, you know, gotta give him that. Uh, Josh did a clothesline off of PN News' shoulders and hit a German suplex. Um, Tony, and this will be a reoccurring theme I'll speak of much more, but I thought this was one of Tony and JR's better nights as commentators. Oh, absolutely, especially Tony. Yeah, um, honestly, in a couple of the matches, it's some of the best commentating I've seen in wrestling. I, I want to go on record and say that um, Shivani may be in my top five color guys ever. Yeah. Maybe even top three. Yeah, he's really good in this show, uh, particular. So he talks about how improved Big Josh is, and I feel like Josh was kind of fitting into his gimmick a little better, slowly but surely. Not as this like clumsy guy that didn't know how to work. Um, but but I mean, uh, there's not a lot to this. It's essentially a squash for Josh and PN News, and Josh hits his northern northern exposure, which is essentially the earthquake drop. Yeah. And then we get the uh, Rap Master Splash for the win. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, it only went four minutes. I, uh, star rating-wise, it'd probably be like a star and a half, but uh, I, I didn't find it terrible, I guess. Uh, I mean, are we meant to believe that Big Josh, uh, known as being a tough guy in the forest or whatever, um, <laughs> in, the, in the space of this couple of months, has learned how to do belly-to-back suplexes and German suplexes and right. suddenly he can do all of these moves with perfect execution. <laughs> it's just, like, ridiculous. Um, it's a pretty ridiculous concept, <laughs> but uh, more ridiculous than PN News as a uh, rap master <laughs> being a wrestler? Probably not. Um, I'm not rating this. So, <laughs> let's go on. <laughs> or PN News. Um, 
So the next match uh, is B Bobby Eaton, who on mine came out to the Midnight Express theme. Uh, so I guess we've lost the uh, Bobby. Um, yeah, on the theme. network he was on uh, some generic theme, but yeah. Um, and out comes Terrence Taylor in a tux, um, foreshadowing a later gimmick. I thought. Oh, real, real quick, Parv. Um, PN News currently works on the European Independent Circuit. Oh, does he? So you, this is a little bit of homework. We we need some uh, 2014 PN News. Do you know if, if he works a show near me, I might go and uh, you know give him a little shoot punch. Cannonball Grizzly is his name. Cannonball Grizzly. I can only imagine how terrible he is now. <laughs> is he still fat? I would assume. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Let me see if I can get a PN News Now Google image. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Um, so, um, yes. Uh, have you found one, Chad? Uh, yeah, he's still looking pretty fat. I feel like we've given PN News far too much time on this show uh, already. Uh, Bob Eaton taking on uh, Taylor here. Um, what did you think of this match? Yeah, so this was, uh, I thought, an interesting match with kind of two mid-card guys, but this showed, like, that you could really build a show just having two guys go out there and wrestle. Um, it, this felt like a match that you don't see much in the uh, pay-per-view, I guess, context now. Yeah. Um... But, you know, two guys kind of hungry, up, you know, hovering around the 6th and 7th rankings, the TV title, the secondary title. But uh, but I thought this was really good stuff. The early, early going sees Taylor frustrate Bobby with arm drags and some taunts. And uh, I, I, this is where I thought the commentary was outstanding overall for this match. Bobby responds with an arm drag of his own a clothesline, and Taylor bails out. Um, Bobby hit some great right hands, which they'd talked about previously, so that paid that off. They spilled it outside. Taylor gets backdropped over the guardrail. Bobby hits another arm drag and works over the bicep with a hammer lock, um, which kind of hinders his five arm. And uh, they talking about how Bobby's wearing his opponent down. And then Taylor hits a jawbreaker uh, to, to kind of counter that, and they spill to the ramp. Bobby slams Taylor on the ramp and then hits a big knee. So you see Bobby taking a big chance there. Uh, that, was a, that was a massive spot as well. Yeah, that was a really cool spot where he came off the top rope uh, with a big knee on the ramp. Taylor ends up gaining the advantage and sits Bobby into the rail from the apron with a running knee of his own, which I thought Bobby took a great spot off that. And then Taylor gave him a great clothesline on the floor. Yeah. Um, which which looked really nice, and then the gut wrench power bomb on the ramp. Gut uh, so wrench power bomb. It wow. was a nasty, nasty little uh, spot. So you're seeing the the uh, back of Bobby being worked over. Mm. Uh, Taylor hits a splash for a near fall. Bobby fires off the right hand, but keeps getting cut off with a knee to the stomach. And uh, and then they kind of. Here was kind of my least favorite part of the match is uh, Taylor applied a camel clutch and a, a couple of it, I mean, just very slightly, I thought he could have done a little more kind of digging his knee into the back or keep working that area. Yeah. Uh, but he didn't really do a whole lot with that. It was kind of them working a submission hold to the finish. 
but but uh, a really cool callback spot was Bobby does the same jawbreaker counter that Taylor did earlier to break that hole. Yeah, and then and then I thought that it was going right to the finish uh, where Bobby goes for a splash, but again he's caught by Taylor getting the knees up, which I thought was a, a really good cutoff hope spot. Bobby responds by getting his knees up on a splash from Terrence, and then he makes his comeback with his right hands a backdrop. Uh, suplex is applied, swinging neck breaker, um, and then he goes up again. So you kept seeing Bobby take chances where he would go up to the top and uh, and was to- completely trying to go up to the top as much as he could throughout this match. He gets crotched one more time. But uh, Taylor goes for the suplex and gets kind of flung off the top rope, and then we get the outbound jam for the victory from Bobby. I think this is a very unheralded match. Yeah. Um, I, the reviews of it I read were good, but this is kind of a match that gets lost in the annals of time um, in, yeah, in a lot of ways. And, uh, yeah, so I, I thought this was bordering on great. I don't know if I would call it great. Um I kind of, you know, as much thought as I put into a star ranking, I put into this one. Um, but I am going to go three and three quarters, the dreaded three and three quarters yeah. rating. But uh, but a really good match. I think you, anybody that has the network should seek this one out. Because, again, this was, you know, two mid-level guys getting 16 minutes and really trying to go out and impress themselves. And I think it's a good showing for Bobby as a singles worker. Uh, so enjoyed this one greatly would not to go three and a half on it um in my notes chad funny you said that i said great match this four stars yeah. uh so there there we this may be that eaten singles match i've been looking for uh you know and i'm not the biggest fan of taylor as you know and i did think my I mean, my main criticism of this match is that taylor was a bit kind of ponderous at times mm-hmm. like i really felt like he as the match was gaining momentum, he was really slowing things down to the point where it was a de- detriment to what was happening. But uh, in general, I thought this was, uh, you know, they really went out to steal this card, uh, these two. And, you know, their number three match on the night. And I think they did maybe two or three of the most memorable things. Which, when you've got a card which has got Abdullah getting electrocuted on it, uh, is, no, is, no, is no mean feat, you know, that... Um, massive uh, spot from Eaton coming off the top rope and the gut wrench power bomb on the ramp. You know, for 1991, uh, in a in a kind of nothing mid card match like that. You know, that's going above and beyond. I thought so. Yeah, I'm uh, very high on this match, me. Yeah, Keller went four stars. Um, I'm looking at Scott Keith's review now. He went four stars. So again, this isn't one that like people shit on and then. You go back and watch, and you're like, these people are out of their mind. But, uh, but, but I do think it's a very forgotten match. So, so um, the next match, and uh, are you kidding me, Chad? <laughs> They're giving us uh, single Jimmy Jam Garvin matches now. Jesus against uh, Johnny B. Bad. And uh, I was a little bit good. So, are the Freebirds faces now because they are? They come out wearing. Um, Kind of, they're doing those t- tomahawk chops. Yeah, they they sort of made themselves faces in this show. But is it just de facto face or official yeah, face? Yeah, I think de facto. Okay. Yeah. Um, still... 
on the hillside and some six mans. So. And uh, I, I actually quite love. I love that about the Freebirds. They're willing to do any cheap shit just to get over yes. for one night. It's it's quite funny. Um, I I will say that Johnny B. Bad, his outfit tonight is just. I mean, he looks like he's wearing frilly knickers. He looks like he's wearing like stockings, or I guess you guys would say suspenders. Um, I mean, flamboyant isn't quite the word. He's basically dressed like a like a can-can girl or something. That's what it looks like from a, from a distance, you know? Um, so, yeah, his outfit is something else this evening. Uh, what did you make of this, Garvin versus Bad on paper? Uh, it doesn't look like it's going to be a great match. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it was a great match. It was okay. Um, Garvin hip-tops his Bad outside. Hayes hits him with a punch with the arm. Like, uh, Hayes had an arm in a swing. Yeah. But he kept using the arm, so I don't I don't know what the deal was with this. But he kept winking at the camera and all this stuff. Uh, so so Garvin hits the forearm, and Bad is very concerned with his face. Um, Teddy and Bad console each other on the outside. Bad does get more aggressive and gains the advantage. He hits a decent clothesline, uh, but then follows that up with a chin lock. He chokes Garvin with the towel. Um, I thought Garvin took a nice bump on the backdrop, which was pretty good, but then they botched, I don't know why Bad went for this move. He goes for a top rope sunset flip. It was very botched. It was very ugly. Uh, But then he hits a top rope elbow drop that looked better. Um, But then he goes to the top again, which seemed like him going to the well one too many times. He gets caught. Um, He took some weird top flip bump off of that. Just a very odd bump. Um, yeah, they bump heads. Garvin gets the DDT, but Teddy distracts the ref, and then Bad hits his left hook and wins. Uh, Garvin had his foot on the rope, but Teddy pushed it off. Um, and then Hayes comes in at the end of the match and nails Peanut Head, as uh, <laughs> JR affectionately calls him. Um, so so a, a pretty meandering, decent match, I thought. Um, I went two stars. It was nothing, but it, I, I didn't think it was dreadful. I, I think you start to see Bad trying to put some things together. Um, he overreaches on some of it, like with the uh, flip bumps, uh, just just too much stuff, yeah. uh, bumping too hard or going for too many moves. But uh, but he's starting to try to put some stuff together, and I didn't think this was near as bad a Garvin performance as we have seen. So. We yeah, at least I mean, have that. Bad is clearly still quite green, but um, again, the commentators, Shivani in particular, great job of highlighting the inexperience of Bad versus the you know veteran status of uh, Garvin at this point. Right. Uh, did a very good job of telling that story. Um, I thought Bad should have been DQ'd, by the way, for uh, punching. <laughs> um, also, uh, did you see Garvin? I'm a bad man. Yes. Into the camera. <laughs> he uh, looked at the camera and went, I'm a bad man. Yeah, he uh, <laughs> definitely was. That's kind of his new, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, my main uh, note from this match uh, was that I might grow my hair out uh, to be just like Johnny B. Bad's hair. I think he's got cool hair. <laughs> and I think my hair would go like that if I grew it out. I was hoping it. you were going to say Garvin. <laughs> <laughs> no, not Garvin, sadly. Um, you know, Johnny B. Bad's got great hair at this point in his life. Um, uh, the finish was pretty cheap, uh, but it's not a bad match, in fairness. Not terrible. Uh, about the same as you, Chad. 
And I, my, my main note is um, this is probably Jimmy Jam showing he's still got something left in the tank. Yeah, I mean, um, the crowd was kind of high. I mean, it was cheap with the tomahawk chops and all that, but the crowd was decently hot for this. Um, now, now Keller went two and three quarters for this. Yeah, as did Meltzer. What? Two yeah, and three quarters, God. yeah, which is pretty high. Um, yeah, that's way too high for that, but I, I did think it was decent. Um, meanwhile, uh, Missy Hire is still looking for the Halloween Phantom. Uh, I mean, and uh, at the same time, Bobby Eaton has a pumpkin uh, in a strange moment. <laughs> Just walking past with a pumpkin after winning his match. <laughs> Any additional thoughts? Yeah, not much to that. <laughs> Just uh, he has a, he's blown. She's blown off by eating with a pumpkin. So there you go. He says he's gonna celebrate. I don't know what that means. He's gonna carve a pumpkin or something. <laughs> So, uh, Steve Austin, uh, and if you ever carved a pumpkin, it takes absolutely ages. So that's not a very, it's not a very, it's not it, a fun. Yeah, and it stinks. It really smells. Yeah, you know? that, I think carving a pumpkin is one of the. I don't, I don't know who decided in the world <laughs> that this was a couple's activity. Um, I, I don't know. It feels like a rite of passage that every couple, like the the uh, girl, wants the guy to carve a pumpkin. Yeah, I know Jennifer was very adamant that we were gonna carve a pumpkin the first year we were married, and yeah, it took forever to clean out. <laughs> the guy, the guy ends up having to clean out all the gook, and then uh, I'm like the most least artistic person, so my pumpkin looked absolutely dreadful. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, that was a one and done deal. Never again. Oh yeah, so I think everybody tries it once at least, but it's uh, much more hassle than it's worth. Yeah, I didn't think it was fun at all. Um, well, uh, it's Steve Austin, the television champion now, taking on uh, the natural, Dustin Rhodes. Um, and uh, Shivani um, uh, has an interesting call during this match, where he claims that Lady Bl- Blossom is only allowed at ringside because Austin, as TV champ, has a lot of stroke with the board of directors, which made me which made me uh, laugh a little bit. <laughs> um, just uh, like thinking through, like that's the reason that people are allowed to have managers, right? Right. It's uh, important how how successful you are. Um, but he's also like a little kind of you know claiming that the board are a little bit corrupt, maybe as well. Uh-huh. Um, so anyway, what do you think of this? Uh, you know. One of PWO's favorite guys, Dustin Rhodes, taking on a young, uh, up-and-coming Steve Austin. Yeah, first off, Lady Blossom. Um, again, this was probably the show I watched the most as a kid, and I guess my uh, five-year-old eye was not in tune to this. But her dress, <laughs> wow! Yeah. This was mm. probably the uh, best appearance of Lady Blossom on the uh, Chad meter that I've uh, seen so far. Um, mm. This this was a, a basic basic wrestling to start. Um, Dustin clotheslined Austin over the top rope, but no DQ was called, which I thought was very good on commentary. Them talking about how that was a judgment call. Uh, belly to back by Austin gets the near fall. We get a shot of uh, <laughs> Dustin's grandmother yep. in the crowd cheering Dustin on. Uh, Come on, Dusty! Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> It's not all we hear for that. Uh, Dustin does go for an early bulldog, but he gets shrugged off. Dustin hits a right hand and uh, right hand and takes him down to a wrestling base again. Very, uh, I'd say, rudimentary start. Kind of the first half of this match. 
where Austin starts working the head scissors and Dustin the headlock, and then Dustin goes for a crossbody, and uh, Ross says it the best. He like does he bounces like a ball to the outside of the ring, like he takes a nasty spill to the outside, and then Austin punches Dustin's forehead, and Dustin starts bleeding. Uh, double axe handle from the top to the floor. Uh, I thought Austin showed some good intensity going after Dustin, especially when he's cut open here. Gut wrench suplex by Austin for a near fall, and then they announced 10 minutes had already elapsed, which I thought was pretty quick, even though the opening was uh, fairly, uh, I guess, rudimentary and not too exciting. Um, this match did speed along really quickly when that happened. Um, and then I, I love this line from Tony talking about how bad uh, Dustin's forehead looks. Yeah. But he said it was a long way from his heart. <laughs> Which, I mean, <laughs> come on. That is like the most baby face line I've ever heard. Um, so, so then the announcers again started talking about Austin kind of trying to run out the clock which I thought was a good strategy and something that I think TV matches always add a little extra wrinkle that's interesting, especially if the heel's the champion. Um, Dustin starts firing back. He gets a nasty clothesline by Austin with Dustin doing his flip bump with four minutes to go. We get some inside cradle reverses and lariat by Dustin, and he starts counting along for the cover, which we see uh, happening more as the match progresses. Dustin's getting much more uh, desperate. Blossom slaps Dustin with three minutes to go, and Jr. was just like absolutely appalled by this and was completely uh, offended that she did that. Um, And then Austin is sent to the post, and now he's bleeding, and we get a power slam with two minutes to go, which was the best near fall. Um, And Tony kind of calls Dustin out for counting along with the pinfall attempts, which I thought was smart because it was kind of a cardinal mistake. A nasty right hand by Dustin, and he shoves the rev, kind of losing his cool. He does get the bionic elbow for a near fall, which the crowd bit on. Uh, with one minute to go, Dustin hammers Austin in the corner with 30 seconds to go, and he hits the top rope clothesline that uh, kind of the clock runs out. Austin does have to kick out because they didn't time it that well. Uh, there, there was like a second off on the timing, so Austin kind of kicks out right as the bell rings but uh again this thought i I thought this was a very uh good good match good stuff um i didn't think it was as good as the eaton taylor match but uh i have it three and a quarter star which i i mean may sound like i'm shortchanging it a little bit i think the reviews of this match are kind of across the board Mm-hmm. Uh, all over the place, so I feel like I'm kind of in the middle of that. But I, I thought it was very good, and two very young guys being going out there and working 15 minutes and telling a pretty good story. I mean, the first half I think is nothing extraordinary, but I would say the contrast from the first half of the wrestling base to the second half with them both bleeding and getting progressively more desperate as the match went on was a pretty good narrative that they told. Yeah, Meltzer goes three and a half. Um, I uh, liked it a little bit better than both of you. Three and three quarters for me. I thought, you know, it's got pace, energy, execution, juice. Goes 15 minutes. What more What more do you want? Uh, I, easily the best Austin performance we've seen um, so far, I think. Yeah. And uh, probably the best Dustin performance, too. Um, yeah, I mean, 
if this match had happened maybe six months later, it could have been a real, uh, well, I guess we do see these guys uh, lock up again. Um, so, yeah, uh, just I've got it just a shade bit behind the uh, the Eton match, basically. Um, not bad going uh, for this card so far. No, yeah, top five matches I think are pretty good. Um, and then just Keller gave that four stars. But uh, Scott Keith gave that two stars. I don't know. He was very, uh, I mean, and calls it dull action, which I think we've seen. Mm. We'll, we'll see as we progress. That I don't think a rudimentary kind of wrestling is his uh, forte. So He wouldn't like any of that 70s stuff I'm watching. No, I, that I, don't, much. I don't think he would learn to love Dory. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so... Um... Uh, so, just as I said, that this card is going well, uh, we have Oz <laughs> taking on Bill Kazmaier. Um, and uh, in a callback to a point that you made earlier, Chad, uh, my main note for this match is that when Jim Ross calls Oz a rookie, who the hell is he meant to be? <laughs> I know. I mean, that is just one of the most confused. Like, how can Oz be a rookie? <laughs> Oh, uh, God. <laughs> what do you think of Kazmaier here, Chad? Oh, Kazmaier sucks. Um, he carries the globe to the ring. <sighs> Basic strongman spots. There's just no crowd heat for this. Uh, Oz has been dwindled to nothing as a gimmick, and he will be repackaged mercifully fairly soon. Uh, Kaz win a, wins a test of strength and then it stomps on Oz's fingers, which I thought was a pretty dig move for a baby face. Yeah. Uh, hip lock takeover by Kaz. Oz hits the belly to bag, pounds away. Kaz skins the cat, which I thought was pretty good. Um, and hits a clothesline and then gets a torture rack, which is ridiculous that he uses that move. Um, at the same time, Luger was in the company. I, I didn't understand that at all. That that was yeah. his finisher. Uh, so yeah, uh, a fourth of a star for me, right on the dud. Uh, I gave it a fourth of a star for the skin the cat. Lots of goes minus half a star for me, dud. Yeah, uh, so. skin the cat salvaged it from dud, but it was uh, <laughs> right there on it. Uh, okay. Keller went dud too. No surprise. Hot, hot, hot on the heels of that, the hottest act in WCW, Van Hammer now taking on random Doug Summers. <laughs> Pretty boy Doug Summers. <laughs> Who, um... <laughs> what? <laughs> um, so Van Hammer gets uh, introduced. First of all, there are road drills. People with drills. Jackhammers, yeah. Jackhammers, yeah. What are they about? Why? Well, because he's Van Hammer, so they're jackhammers. Oh, jackhammer, yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. So they're, they're kind of drilling the the graves. Yeah, they had cinder blocks that they <laughs> Right. And then um, talk about burial. Um, Van Hammer's music plays over Doug Summers' intro. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was in the ring. He didn't even get He got a complete yeah. job or entrance here. Yeah, he was in the ring already and the mu- and he, Van Hammer's music continues to play over his uh, over his uh, <laughs> over... <laughs> what... How would you describe uh, Doug's the look on Summers' face as this as he's getting introduced? I would say uh, ragged. Doug Summers <laughs> looked like he'd rather be anywhere else in the world. Um, mm. I don't know. Well, yeah, sure enough, he's in pure pure jobber mode here because Summers, uh, <laughs> the Van Hammer beats him in about a minute. 
Yeah, they blow like all these moves. Yes, well, uh, Melter says that he only missed three of the five moves that he tried. <laughs> I saw that. Uh, but yeah, right out of the gate, they aren't on the same page. Um, Summers took an Irish whip in an awkward fashion. Hammer hit a leg drop again. The crowd couldn't care less. I mean, it was really bad. Uh, Hammer tries to rally them, but they don't seem too willing. I mean, he was stomping and clapping his hands, just desperately trying to get any support. Uh, his slingshot suplex finisher makes uh, Tully Blanchard blush. Yeah. As straight shit. Was, this was a dud for me. This was bad. I can't understand why Van Hammer works in the manner that he does, given that he's a, clearly not a technically gifted guy. Right. Why does he work with a technical moveset? Very, uh, like, he's like a really crap. Dan Spivey. Right, yeah. Which is saying something. <laughs> Awful. Uh, okay, I'm not rating that either. Um, <laughs> we, we get a promo. We get a promo now from uh, uh, Pillman and uh, Morton. Um, and uh, Ricky Morton's hair is back. Yes. Uh, he's got it back in the kind of, you know, the traditional Morton manner. Uh, any thoughts on these promos before we go into the match? No, um... Eh, they were okay. They were pretty generic. I thought they did a pretty good job hyping this match going in. So this is for the new uh, WCW light heavyweight title. Right. And uh, it's Pillman flying Brian taking on uh, Richard Morton. Still and with the, the referee's back. And the ref referee uh, still back. Um, now, my one note going into this, uh, uh, Chad, was that I realized... This was the first time in my life as a wrestling fan that I actually understood what it means for Brian Pillman to be a defensive tackle for the Cincinnati Bengals. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so, uh, and uh, my immediate thought was, he seems a bit small, small yeah. to play on the line, doesn't he? Yeah, he's yeah, very I, undersized. I thought he'd be a linebacker or maybe even a cornerback or something. Right. He was doing. Um, so, yes. Uh, if you don't know, uh, the other thing that's happened in the past month or so is that I've got into NFL, uh, where the big boys play fans, um, and uh, yes, I support the uh, a particular team, the uh, Seattle Se- Seahawks. Uh, so there we go. Um, what did you think of this? Because uh, uh, one of the things that I've noticed uh, looking at the reviews uh, is that this match has really split a lot of people. Yeah, I I, I didn't like this. I thought. Um... I have a lot of thoughts on this. So Pillman hits a good early spinning kick, and uh, Morton regroups with York. And the opening was based around Pillman with a headlock, um, which was okay, but very uninspiring. I just didn't think they never told a story with this match. Morton turns the tie with an inverted atomic drop. He starts attacking a bum shoulder. Uh, again, that was fine, but nothing really inspiring, and it felt like they were never in... Uh, like Pillman was never in peril and they never really ratcheted up the intensity throughout it Morton locks on a shoulder arm bar they go back and forth and then Pillman kind of hits the cross body and wins in a very anticlimactic fashion for me um, and that, that was the only notes I wrote on a 12 minute match I mean this match was given time um, so to me in this match we're starting the greatest wrestling ever project like we talked about in the opening and and i think pillman 
could be a divisive guy um, because I know there's a couple of people like uh, Dylan that very are very high on Pillman's baby face run from around this time. Dylan's brother. Yeah. So uh, so and and I think we've liked stuff of Pillman, but um, to me this match is a is a pretty big detraction for Pillman. I I know it's tough to judge on one match, but to me, this was given a lot of time. Um, They were given a pretty signature spot here, and and Morton doesn't get a free pass either, because I didn't think Morton was very good either. But... uh, Well, well, I mean, I've said it before, um, Chad, uh, in my uh, rankings, almost certainly Eaton will be right finish above Morton. Morton and, yeah. and it's singles performances like this that yeah, I Yeah, we saw we saw that easy on this show. That that match yeah. was uh I mean similar time. That I mean the Eaton Taylor match had probably a couple more minutes, but it, it wasn't it wasn't like you could say this was blamed on the booking. I mean they were given twelve minutes and they just decided not to do nothing with it. For me, I mean, this is a two-star match for me, which is extremely disappointing. And uh, there's there's a match coming up with a performance against a, a lesser opponents that I'll talk about, and that and uh, I'll just go ahead and say it's Arn Anderson. I think I think some people might say you know have P- Pillman comparable to Anderson in some regards. And uh, when we get yep. to the match, I think the way Anderson worked was so much harder than what Pillman and Morton did here. I, I was really disappointed in this one. I, I, um, I think this is one of the more disappointing matches we've watched overall, actually. Pillman and Arn aren't even on the same planet when it comes to that. So I don't I don't see uh, I don't see that at all. Um but did, I mean do you really think guys would compare Pillman to Arn? I guess, uh, I, guess I mean I, I guess when when doing this project, it's going to be a level of extremes. But I mean, like I mean, Dylan has said that he thinks Pillman from around this time is one of the best baby faces ever. So I mean, he's made that claim, mm. and and I've seen almost all the footage from it, a, a ton of the TV, all the high profile matches and stuff like that. And while I do think Pillman is very good and was squandered in some regards by WCW. I, I never get a sense that I'm seeing one of the best baby faces ever. I, but, um, I mean, like, it, 1998 Diamond Dallas Page, you know, I would see as uh, almost a better baby face than Pillman. Dylan also thought that Kurt Hennig was one of the best baby faces ever in, w, in AWA, Chad. And, uh, I, don't think he, I don't think either of us saw that either. So um, I guess he's got something for young baby faces. <laughs> um because he like uh, I would say Pillman would be comparable to Hennig in AWA, young babyface Kurt Hennig, something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, what, what, I did actually think that this was perfectly fine. Um, nothing really stands out. Um, I would say that. I mean, I did when I looked through the reviews. Uh, one of the criticisms. This may have been Matt Pedicord. I can't remember if it was. Um, that Ricky Morton's uh, offense is really poor mm-hmm. during this match, and that you know there's a reason that he played Ricky Morton for so long, um, and uh, that's another thing that I will always point to uh, in the comparison between Morton and Eaton, is that Eaton has got high artillery offense. Morton, when he needs to bring it, I don't know what he can do apart from a drop kick. So that's um, he, he does have sweet punches, and he shows that in this match. 
But other than those punches, I don't really know what Morton does. He's like, he doesn't have any ideas when he's on top, you know. Um, so possibly the match is hurt by having Morton as the heel and Pillman as the babyface uh, to a certain extent. But, you know, that's that's on them as workers. Uh, right. I'm right around where you are, though. Two stars. Um, yep. um, Meltzer went one star. Oh, yeah. Keller was a little more forgiving. Two and a half, but... Uh... Yeah, I, don't, I mean, um, Scott Keith won one star as well. A uh, very disappointing match for me. Okay, so now we have the Halloween, the WCW Halloween Phantom taking on uh, the Z-Man, still knocking about. Tony Schiavone on commentary. We know he's got a moustache. Uh, <laughs> Tony Schiavone on commentary. One other thing I'll say is that uh, there aren't that many signature moves in wrestling, and there's one that's called the Rude Awakening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, now, here's what I was thinking. Mustache, swinging neckbreaker, Billy Robinson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, not quite. Uh, yeah, yeah, Tony kind of outed the phantom here. He could, he did what Missy couldn't. Um, and Ross, as soon as he says that line, Ross is like, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's very kind of noncommittal. Yeah, so there's nothing to this. I do think the crowd caught on when he does hit the rude awakening, but uh, more on that later. Um, Meltzer's actually surprisingly critical. Um, it was good to establish rude in this fashion, but anyone who has ever studied logical booking 101 would know that you don't destroy a baby face in this manner on a major show when he's what? in the main event challenging for the world title at several house shows oh, over yeah. the next few weeks. It renders Luger versus Zenk as a negative draw main event, but I guess it's only fair because at least now it's no longer any more or less attractive than Luger versus Kazmaier. So, uh, fair point from Meltzer? Yeah, because... I guess I can see that from the house show side, but uh, yeah, Luger didn't seem to have that many good baby faces lined up. I mean, I, I, would, I would do Luger eating, to be honest, but... That's just me. Do you know who would have been tremendous for uh, uh, WCW to get right around this point would have been uh, Rick Martel. Mm-hmm. Save him for the model, like just somehow get him from doing the model gimmick and come back over and just work big. Like, can you imagine the Martel versus Luger matches, or the uh, even like Martel Rude, or you know, he would have been very good to have in the mix at this time. I I think. Your um, uh, your fandom for Martel knows no bounds. <laughs> well, in the past week, I've booked him against Luger in 91 and against, uh, I want him to be the WF WWF champion yeah. in 1980. Yeah. He <laughs> takes the back one roll. Um, he may he may well be uh, my image of what a perfect babyface is. Uh, and uh, it'll be very interesting if he finishes above Ricky Steamboat for me in that top 100. Oh, he's def- no no he- chance. No chance of that, I don't think. Yeah. Um, okay. So the next match now is the Patriots. That is uh, Chip the Firebreaker <laughs> and uh, Todd, Todd, champion. Todd Champion. Meltzer calls him Claude Champion. <laughs> in one of his shitter jokes. Um, now, I, I will say going into this match, and they're taking on the Enforcers, of course, um, who are uh, um, the, um, the, the reigning tag champs. Uh, that's Arn Anderson and Larry Zabisco. Did we win? See them win the titles? Uh, yeah, that was the yeah, clash. Yeah. The last yes. clash where uh, they injured Kazmaier. 
just two notes going into this uh, before uh, I hand over to you, Chad. First of all, the oil thing made me laugh quite a lot. <laughs> that was just a really funny. Um, is that a uh, is that Arn complaining about yeah, the oil? The firebreaker chip has too much oil on him. Yeah, which he did look thought, very oily. And uh, I thought Shivani's breaking down of the psychology of that was really fun as well. Um, and secondly, I just love the enforcers, uh, Chad. Um, you know what a classic team i just find on so easy to watch he's like it's almost like kind of like comfort food for me like mm-hmm. you know like how it's really easy to eat i don't know uh, you know mac and cheese or something it's just like comfort food and uh i find watching on in any in a setting like this just so easy um so over to you yeah, I thought this was a clinic with the enforcers. It really was. Uh, I mean, Larry gets flustered at first and is yapping. Double A gets tagged in. There was a buzz from the crowd. And uh, Tony and Jim calling the best tag wrestler they've ever seen. And uh, Tony in this match was just outstanding. Talking about how he takes control of the match without even touching someone. Yeah. Which, which was so true because he did his little uh, throat slash thing and he was very methodical coming in he was dictating the pace now um, and then we get the old spot that you were talking about that was yeah. funny uh champion gets tagged in and gets a wrist lock uh is applied to Arn. Arn takes advantage and stomps away Arn gets brought out and back dropped on the floor and he had a great facial expression when that happened uh bear hug by champion larry breaks us up and the enforcers try to double team but champion hits a double clothesline kind of that gets the enforcers to regroup again and then Arn leaves the ring and re-enters in his own corner which the uh, announcers noted which was great Larry gets tagged in and then they did this great spot where Larry gets chased around the ring um, on the outside goes back in quickly tags in Arn and then Larry hits the karate kick with Arn holding him uh, because they didn't see the tag Terrific uh, which was very neat and very well executed. Larry then sends Todd Champion into the guardrail. Another great uh, sequence of Tony comparing Arn to a hitman, which was an awesome analogy, I thought. Uh, Arn tries to roll up Chip in the corner, <laughs> which allows the enforcers to double team. I, I just thought this was tag wrestling kind of one-on-one. Uh, swing and neck yeah. breaker by Larry gets two. Larry hits a nasty boot, and he sends him into Arn. Uh, they take the full four seconds every time they tag out, so they're not going to get DQ'd, but they take the full amount of time allotted. Blind tag to Larry when Arn was up in an atomic drop. Uh, Larry hits an axe handle to the back of the head. Uh, Tony is really gushing and over on Arn. Um, Jim Ross calls him a point guard in basketball, like that in wrestling, which I thought was another great analogy. Uh, Larry gets flustered again and stomps away that uh, he can't put the Patriots away. Chip gets the hot tag, almost no reaction, but I thought he did a decent hot tag with drop kicks and kind of some good punches. Power slam on Arn, but the pins broke up by Larry. All four men are in now. Chip bumps his head with Larry, and then he turns right around into the spine buster, and the enforcers win to a pop from the crowd. Um... Uh, this this match, I think the Patriots were essentially two warm bodies, and uh, I thought this was one of the more clinical matches you could tout for Arn and Larry, really, as uh, mm. contenders, as wrestlers. 
I thought this was a fabulous, outstanding performance by them, and as a match overall, it made the match good. I went three stars on it, um, which may yeah. sound high, but I mean it's it's all it's all Arn and Larry, and this is just a clinic. I mean, just watch them work as a team. And again, I don't want to down the modern product, but and and this will down the old product too. Like if you watch the Heart Foundation as a team work together and if you watch um, Edge and Christian the teams like that work together there's just not the harmony that the enforcers had here where they were all on the same page um, re- really outstanding to watch I mean I mean they you know Edge and Christian may have like the gimmicks and the fun stuff backstage but as, as far as a tag team working together totally on the same page complimenting each other uh, I thought this was one of the better performances of a tag team I'd really seen. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm right with you, Chad. Three stars. Um, a lot of fun. Arn and Larry are such great, like, wily veterans. They're so they're full of those psychological plays and the tricks and things. So much fun. Um, with, really, I mean, with all respect to the Patriots, nothing opponents here. Right. Um, and they just made this compelling. Um so yeah, um, and uh, you know the enforcers. How long were they together? What nine months or something? Maybe I don't even think that long. They were very short lived because he I, starts teaming with Bobby. I remember a long time ago now. I it was either Will or Dylan did that whole show on the best short lived tag team. Yeah, it's got to be the enforcers, doesn't it? Yeah, just I think tremendous. they're up there. Yeah, I really um, don't understand. I mean, to me, in the Dangerous Alliance, I know the. Uh, the appeal of having Arn and Bobby team up, but they never had the chemistry Arn and Larry did. No, because they're, they're right around like I I know uh, Larry's a bit older than Arn, but they look they look around the same age, and right. they're just so good together. Um, per- perfect team, and pro- poss- probably my favorite Larry, uh, and that would include him in the, that that brilliant 1980 feud with Bruno. Mm-hmm. But this Larry in the in the ring is the best Larry, I think. So, yes. Um, what were the ratings? Because I know uh, Keller went two and a fourth, and Keith went a star and a half. So. Star and a quarter from Meltzer. Yeah. He uh, didn't like this a lot. I mean, um, I mean, I, I I can see that because the Patriots suck, but I, this was just such a great performance. I mean, just watch the work that the Enforcers do. Yeah, he, he, he basically just says the Patriots have a lot of negative charisma. Everyone tried, but Todd has this knack of never being in the right place at the right time. So, yeah. more or less just burying the Patriots. Right. Um, um, and uh, just before we get to the main event, Paulie Dangerously is with uh, Eric Bischoff. <laughs> and uh, he mentions that he's no longer co-host of WCW, like we've talked about. Yes. Which means war on the committee war on WCW because everybody seems to have forgotten that he's got a manager's license and he's going to take down WCW one bit at a time starting with Sting first of all he's got Medusa with him um, and he sent Medusa to find him a man uh, to eliminate Sting and that man of course is the Halloween Phantom I thought this was a really great promo by Paulie to set yes. up this angle. Yes, uh, one of the better, one of the best 
uh, kind of setup promos I can remember us seeing, Chad, if I can be honest. Um, And then, uh, obviously, uh, the Phantom is revealed to be Rick Rude, who says that he's going to dismantle WCW brick by brick, starting with Sting. Um, This was tremendously well executed. Yes. Uh, And I, I actually think the angle of Paulie getting fired as the commentator and then taking his revenge as a manager is really good um and it is possibly a missing detail in that in when people write about the dangerous alliance yeah yeah um, yeah the setup so? i mean the setup makes sense and like you said the execution was great where uh, like uh, as soon as rude takes off the mask he has his tights on his uh, kind of traditional uh, colorful tights and his music starts up his new music which fits him well and uh JR on commentary goes wow um it, just everything here felt like the landscape in WCW was changing for the yeah. better and uh great I'll, stuff. I'll, I'll just go right ahead and uh, tell you Chad that this version of Rick Rude with the short hair and the mustache mm-hmm. um that we that debuts on this show he is one of my favorite wrestlers ever and if he had maybe one or two more years as mm-hmm. that guy uh working the sort of matches he he would uh, he'd be really high on my list i'll just tell you that I, I really i really think rick rude is phenomenal during this entire run sure so i'm i'm looking forward to watching it again yeah me um, too um so we we now get a, a kind of hype package with ron simmons uh preparing um himself uh you get like you know he's training we get his uh florida state university stuff again and um, all, some of this confused me, uh, Chad. Maybe you can explain. I would have thought it would be make sense to put this card on in Florida. And this card did not happen in Florida. I mean, maybe, but... Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't think that, I guess, was too detrimental. Well, well, I mean, I, it would have been nice, but... How much do you think that the fans in Chattanooga cared about Simmons' Florida State University. Yeah, so that, I mean, the Florida State thing, they wouldn't have been too enthused with that, but I, I didn't think this was as much a PR piece for Florida State as just showing him, like, going back to his roots to train. Um, right. So I didn't have that big of a problem with it. Okay. Like, um, running up the bleachers or whatever. Yeah. No, I, I guess the only thing that I thought is that it, it all seems a bit regional to me. Yeah, it does. I, I mean, I, 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 but again, I can see why they used Bobby Bowden because his name did have cachet. So him mm. talking about how great an athlete Simmons was does seem to have some legitimacy to the whole situation. So I can see that vantage point. So it's uh, and Simmons was a defensive tackle as well. Yeah, uh, I understand. All, all wrestlers defensive tackles. Well, uh, Luker was on the offensive side, which they bring up how them they kind of battled each other. They were on the same USFL team, so. So uh, oh, I found out by the way, um, around right around this time, Eric Watts debuts as a starting quarterback for one of the colleges. Uh, I noticed so like if you're trying to like if you were to try to make a wrestling kind of you know 22 or whatever uh, maybe you could have Eric Watts in there as the quarterback I'm sure uh, Tolly was a quarterback so he's already out (laughs) well maybe he can be the number two the second he he could be the uh, guy with the clipboard on the bench calling in the plays (laughs) 
Uh, it's fair to say the most uh, wrestlers were linesmen, though. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah, probably linesmen or linebackers. Okay, uh, so next Luger, uh, who, if you didn't know, has a 3.78 grade average. He's <laughs> 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 uh, taking on Ron Simmons, who's got Dusty Rhodes in his corner. Uh, I guess the Florida connection there. Yeah. Uh, and also because Race is uh, Luger's manager. Um, so a little bit of you know history between those two. Uh, and this is a two out of three falls match, kind of old school uh, for the for the world title. Um, what do you make of this? It's Luger versus uh, Simmons and two former uh, teammates. They were on a, some Miami team together. Yeah, the USFL uh, team, uh, which the USFL was like the TNA of uh, wrestling, of uh, football. So there was that. And that went without kind of went out of business in the 80s did it yeah it was it was done gone by this point right um so yeah what do you make of this one chad so dusty has his tie-dye shirt on and uh <laughs> uh dusty gives ron some advice early going that he has all night long uh they they took uh, i appreciated them taking kind of a very cautious start to this uh, not to make a big mistake i, th- I thought that really kind of amplified the magnitude of this match Good basic wrestling to start out to set the tone. Um, I, I mean, I, I can see how some people may consider that as boring, but I did think the way they conveyed it was uh, more emphatic, that it had more emphasis, that it was part of an overall strategy than them just killing time. Yeah. Uh, Luger kicks things up. He starts stomping away. A nice elbow to the back of the head of Simmons. Simmons fires back with a power slam and a spine buster, and he gets the flash pin for fall number one. So our champion's on the ropes. Uh, that got a big pop, and Dusty kind of reassured him in the corner. And then uh, so the bell starts for uh, the second fall, and Simmons goes yeah. right after the back. Chad, uh, intre- like, what do you think about that, doing that quick first fall with the babyface going one one nil up yeah uh, I, I like that with him as a challenger yeah because um, it really I mean I don't think many people thought Simmons would have much of a chance in this uh, but it gives him a little more of a fighting chance I guess him winning that yeah. first fall with a quick kind of flash pin that shows he can beat Luger out of nowhere and I imagine if you were there live you'd really start going invested in this match then. yeah yeah it could start buzzing that you may see a title change um, yeah. so I enjoyed that um, so then the second fall Simmons goes right back after the back and uh, Luger's reeling I thought he did a great job showing how he was kind of on the ropes and yeah. really kind of hanging on to his title is really desperate um, he gets in a desperation kick and a punch in the corner and I really loved the shortcuts Luger took in this match to get the advantage it wasn't anything pretty but it was just very kind of short kicks knees, punches high rakes a very I, th- I thought he really played up the heel persona that he'd do anything to regain his uh or retain his championship and yeah. inside cradle by Simmons for a near fall um and then luger again retreats to the corner which was good to kind of regroup luger sends him to the outside and starts choking him with his boot uh luger i thought was selling the back damage really good as he was still kind of holding his back limping um really selling fatigue from the uh from the back stuff a shoelace gets uh, scraped across simmons's face and then luger scrapes him across the rope uh, he was a really detestable wrestler in this match 
power slam by Lex is his first a high impact move of the match and race on the outside was very pumped. I thought race and dusty added a lot to this match too. Yeah. At one point, uh, Race was like, Jesus Christ, you could count to ten. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, thought, I thought that was a really cool wrinkle uh, to everything. Their history and them kind of on the outside. Uh, Luger gets frustrated now. He pauses a chin lock, losing the, using the ropes for leverage. Uh, and then Race, he was sweating like crazy on the outside, <laughs> which showed that he was kind of nervous that his meal ticket, so to speak, was about to lose his title. Uh, Luger misses a charge in the corner and a big near fall on a roll-up. A uh, backslide by Ron gets another near fall. Uh, JR, at this point I noticed, JR really took over kind of the commentary for this match. And yeah. if you listen to his tone throughout the uh, match, uh, this was a match I think JR was made to call because uh, yeah. he starts out very calm. And then around this time, you can hear the temperament and the tone of his voice, and it's very hectic. It's very frantic. Uh, he really portrays the action well that we're in the mix of this big battle, uh, that the it could end at any time and stuff like that. So the second fall happens where uh, Luger hits a cross body on uh, Simmons, who's on the ropes, and Race hangs on to Simmons tight, so it looked like Simmons tossed Luger over, getting a DQ win. I, I thought this was clever, but I'm interested to see what you think because it was a little contrived, but uh, I kind of liked it. No, I think it played into the narrative of Luger just being like this cheap win-at-all-costs heel, um, and it also kept the idea of Simmons being a realistic challenger alive um, for you know because they still had that one fall to go, didn't they, with the DQ right. yep. finish? So. Made for an exciting third fall. Yeah, so now they're even up. Luger's sweating like crazy. He's still selling the back well. Simmons is being conscious not to make a mistake again. Uh, Luger gets a nice punch, and he starts like really going crazy, kind of like this was his one opening, so this was his chance. Uh, Simmons fires back, and I thought he had the crowd behind him, which was welcoming to see. Simmons hits a clothesline, and Dusty gets on the apron to sell that he thought that was the finish, which I thought was cool. Uh, back body drop is a nice callback to the work on the back, and that gets another close near fall. Race is uh, selling extreme anguish on the apron. He was clenching his fist and kind of shaking his head at every near fall. Uh, superplex by Ron for another near fall. Power slam by Simmons. Uh, and then he goes to the middle rope. He hits the shoulder block, and Luger rolls to the outside. Now, on the outside, Luger gets sent to the guardrail, and then he backs his back up to the ring post. Simmons goes for kind of his football tackle charge, but Luger moves, and Simmons goes shoulder first right into the post, which I thought was a, a good, very good-looking spot the way they did it. Yeah. Um, Tony, uh, JR talked about it on commentary. It did look like an explosion where Simmons just kind of charged right out of the gate and rammed right into the post. Luger takes... He, I, I love this. Luger wasted no time. He gets him right in the ring, and then he does the attitude adjustment, but it's not a traditional pile driver on the head. He does this attitude adjustment to focus right on the shoulder that he just injured, and uh, he wins the title. So I, I thought this was great to show Luger kind of escaping with the win, but also looking resourceful at the same time, kind of modifying Ooh. his finisher to fit what just happened in the match. Very, very smart finish that I loved. And uh, 
I thought this was a really good match overall. It gets kind of shit on. Um, I know Scott Keep gives it a star, which I think is atrocious. I uh, yeah. completely disagree with that. I, I, Keller gives it four stars, so he loved it. I'm not quite that high, but this is one of my top 100 matches of 1991. I think it's a very good match. Uh, shows Luger with an underneath opponent. I don't think Simmons was a bona fide challenger at this time and had been established as one. Um, and Simmons was game here, but I thought this was really made by Luger and how he sailed throughout the match. Yeah, well, uh, Meltzer went three and a half. Yeah. Um, I have to. I thought this was a really good match. Yeah. Um, I mean, I just love watching great power wrestling. Two big guys, you know, hitting big high impact moves like this. Um, I particularly just I like watching Luger hit high impact stuff. I think his execution is great and Simmons is a great guy to do it with and we've seen him in quite a lot of these style of matches now and I actually think that he's uh, he's better at them than he, maybe he's credited uh, for a lot of the time yeah. um, but I did, all of that said I think this is a real feather in uh, Luger's cap I mean he's continuing to impress the hell out of me and this is late on now in 91 um, and I, I actually thought this was a real glimpse at the Luger that could have been if he hadn't gone to WF. Right. Like, you know, this is, I mean, obviously he's never going to be Ric Flair, but, you know, who knows? Another two or three years working matches like this? Who knows what Luger could have gone on to do is what I mean if he was given a lengthy run with a world title. Sure. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, and I wasn't really sure what I was going to do with the star rating here. I hovered between, at one point, I was thinking of going as high as four and a half. Yeah. Which, but that seems too much. Right. Um, but then four, so I've I've ended up at four. Yeah. But uh, you know, Chad, I don't give that four and a quarter rating. Right. If there was ever a match to push me to do it, it would be this one. Yeah, um, this was. I, I mean, this was a tough match to rank. I feel like I'm maybe a little low on this show because I'm very positive of it overall, but I didn't rank any matches at four stars or above. Um, but, but I, I really like this match. I think it really shows, uh, it, it's, I mean, they didn't have a ton of time for two out of three falls. I think it goes like 20 minutes altogether. Mm. So, but, but I thought they really maximized that time. Well, no, well, yeah. I, and I don't know. I, I thought it was really like way better than you'd expect it to be. Oh yeah. And I can't, I can't understand some of those ratings that I've seen, uh, you know, um, I can. O- I, I think can it's just it- bias against Luger. Yeah, I can only put it down to Luger, like irrational Luger hatred. Yeah, he's because, not uh, Yes. Um, all in all, Chad, very good card. Apart from all like the, the shitty squashes and things, um, it's got what three, four really decent matches here. Yeah, I mean, I did uh, four matches that I had at three stars or above. The Chamber of Horrors match, which isn't great, but is at least worth uh, worth a watch. I mean, I mean, and I thought the uh, absolute crap was held to a minimum. I mean, was Van Hammer and the Kazmaier matches good? No, but that was three minutes between both of them. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the Phantom match is a straight squash, so the stuff that sucks is kept to a very bare minimum. Uh, I mean, the Creatures match is the longest match that's not good and that's still sub five minutes so so i give the show a thumbs up pretty easily and it was a very quick watch i actually watched the show i had a toothache 
and uh, I couldn't go to sleep, so I, I started watching the show at 2 a.m. on uh, on in the morning, and I watched it straight through. Which I usually with these shows, I at least take a, a one break. I, I very rarely watch the show straight through, especially this one that I'd seen so many times. Uh, but this was a very easy show for me to watch all the way through. It's quite a breeze. I mean, it's almost three hours. Yeah, two hours and 47 minutes on the network, and it was breezy. Yeah, um, Yeah. so thumbs up, easy thumbs up, I think. Uh, one of the stronger shows that we've seen in a while. Um, what do you think about Match of the Night, Jeff? Probably, yeah, just real quick, I think this is a good rebound, too, from Great American Bash. So that's oh, I, that's, so that's that's a good optimistic approach. Um, how much of the night I'm going with... Uh, Eaton versus Taylor, but it's very close. Um, I, that and the main event, I waft back and forth. Yeah. Um, you could ask me tomorrow, and I may switch it. But I, I've got Eaton and Taylor at three and three quarters. I have the main event at three and a half right now, so it's they barely edged in the favor of uh, Eaton and Taylor. Yeah, I, I could decide this. On, I could decide this on a coin toss, really. Um, I think. Given that you've gone with Eaton match, just to be different, I'll choose Luger and Simmons. Yeah. But I could just have easily done it the other way around. Right. Um, and I just think that, you know, like, I've seen people say, talk about Luger's peak as being, uh, you know, 89, 90. Mm-hmm. I think they're really saying he's 91 short when they when they do that. Yeah. Like, you know, like, he's been just as good this year as he was in 89 for me. So... Um, and with lesser, you know, don't forget, he was working Flair and Steamboat in 89. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. and Pillman. Um, whereas here, he's working Ron Simmons, you know. So, yeah, no, I, I think he's just as good. Uh, what about MVP, Chad? Yeah, so my MVP, I thought there was a good many contenders too. Uh, Eaton, I thought was good. Uh, kind of on a lesser show, I could see Austin and Dustin being in contention here. Um, Wager Sabisco I thought was good in that tag match and then Luger as well but I'm going with Arn Anderson for me I thought he was uh, I mean, really like if, if you were I keep going back to that but to me like if you're in wrestling school and you're in a tag match it's just like watch that match and just marvel at no matter what the level of your competition is, you can still make uh, chicken salad out of chicken shit by watching what he did in that match. I, I agree. I've got exactly the same, Chad. Easy on Anderson MVP for this show. Just for not like a masterclass you said before. I think that's uh, on the money for all the reasons that you said. Um, yeah, I, I love Arn at this time. Yeah. Like, in, in fact, from here on out, uh, until the day he retires, I just love him. <laughs> so... This is my favorite version of Arn. Not that he changes that much from right. the 80s, but it's just like he's a little bit older. You know, sometimes he'll start cutting promos while he's wearing his glasses or other times <laughs> where I, I just love him. I really do. Um, okay, and uh, Billy Graham. Um, yeah, a couple of options for the Billy Graham for me. I am going to throw a bone at Bill Kazmaier. Um, just because he was trying to get a little bit of a push, he had some main events on house shows, and he he was bad. He was really bad. Did nothing. Um, I don't know. No connection with the crowd. I just thought he sucked. Mm, well, I thought I was thinking about really turning heel and uh, making uh, Ricky Morton my Billy Graham <laughs> Award winner. 
that would really piss a lot of people yeah, off. Yeah, I mean, it? I uh, think about Pillman, honestly, a little bit. But, I mean, I thought that match was at least decent. But, but that was but very it, disappointing. I guess in terms of expectations. Expectations, performance, yeah, yeah. I have no problem. Uh, but uh, I don't think I can do it. Um, not when some of these guys... My Billy Graham Award winner is P.N. Hughes. Yeah, again, <laughs> he's just fucking atrocious. <laughs> I mean, how long has he got left, Chad? Yeah, not long. So we're coming to the <laughs> end of PM's reign here. Oh, his reign of terror <laughs> with the WCW. Um, so, yes. Uh, what's our next show? Our next show is Clash of the Champions 17, which is, uh, you know, I think a lot of these clashes we've done probably since the Clash 9, Clash 10, have felt a little anticlimactic. Uh, kind of lower level world title defenses and sort of a, just a show to have a show. Yeah. But Clash 17 really kind of amps back up the Clash in a big way um, where we have a big tag team title match and a big US title match. So yeah. it's a show I'm looking forward to. Oh, I'm excited. When does Ricky come in, Chad? Uh, Ricky back? Nope. We will see uh, at our next <laughs> show. <laughs> so exciting there is a mystery Ooh. mystery partner in the next uh-huh. show dangerous alliance just around the corner rude is here steamboat's coming back i'm so excited for the uh kit prey era chat <laughs> <laughs> it's a very exciting time i thought this show if, if you will if you for people that talk about the glory days of wcw with the dangerous alliance and stuff like that i would start with this show um, and I know there's a uh, a certain compilation flying around of the Dangerous Alliance that does start with a show. Um, so I, I do think this is the absolute beginning of the one of the best eras of WCW. Fans, for all of us here at WCW Center Stage, for Cowboy Bill Watts and the American Dream Dusty Rhodes, I'm Jim Ross saying good night, everybody.